get some of this. The CBS Sports Boxeo Podcast is back. And let yourselves know it is fired the heck up. Fresh off a wild and woolly Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, heavyweight championship pay-per-view in Los Angeles. As your boys BC and Rafe Bugs were ringside for all the madness. What are you expecting this week? The full recap of everything that went on in Staples Center, along with a preview of the weekend action, Do You Care style, featuring the return of pound-for-pound King Vasily Lomachenko and much more. A show guaranteed to fire you up and backed and underwritten, of course, by that performance-enhancing audio, but it won't stop there at Wilder Fury. Hey, we got a nice chat with rising women's boxing star this week, Michaela Mayer of Top Rank, who returns December 14th on ESPN+. Plus. You want more than that? Hey, we have a breakdown of all things sloppy Super Bowl down under. Yes, Jeff Horn, Anthony Mundine, as we welcome to the program, friend of the program, Alex McClintock, Australian journalist, and much, much more. Wow, wow, am I so friggin' fired the heck up right now. Speak and believe and receive it. Speak and believe and receive it. Speak and believe and receive it. Wow. And a man. Who, let me tell you. Yeah, let me tell you. All right. Get out of there. A man who last week spoke it, believed it and relieved it. That was, that was fairly disgusting, but we love him. He's our co-host, an author of many books you already own, a Filipino TV icon. They call him Bugs. His name is Rafe Bartholomew. Cruising was made for box. Respect was made for box. I love it when we double kebab it. Bugs, no good intro this week. Right into the heart of it. L.A., you and I. That was one of the greatest experiences I ever had in the whole damn boxing world. Are you kidding me? Was that was it? amazing, Brian. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I just wanted to let you know. I, I, I do hope to make some history today. I am, I'm hooked up to my colostomy bag. I'm ready to rock because oh, this God. is going to be a great show. It, it listens to me well. I got it in the bag right now. Wait, wait. Well, what happens <laughs> if you tease that bag? Yeah, you get the mess, man. You know not to tease the bag. Oh, it's so, so, so disgusting. Um, wow. Uh, yeah, maybe he'll crap in a can this week. You never know what'll happen on the box pod, respect box. Hey, that respect box newsletter was back this week. Well done there, Rafe. It was such a big fight. You had to come out of hiding. Exactly. Twice in the month of November. I, I'm feeling I'm on quite a roll. It's, it's great. But no, I, I didn't mean to sidetrack us this much. That was an amazing event. That I mean, what a night. God damn, Brian. I have to say this. Wilder Fury, I've seen better fights from ringside, talking my career covering MMA and boxing. I think that may have been the best experience, though. I am seriously mean that. Rafe, there was legitimately moments that I just screamed for no reason because the tension was so damn thick. It was so dramatic. Not just the knockdowns, not just the fact that you're waiting for something to happen the whole time and you're mixing the emotions of being kind of like amazed at the fury that he's holding it together and that this life comeback story is coming together, but fearful knowing Wilder can drop the bomb at any point. I mean, Rafe, we haven't had that from heavyweights. You know, I mean, we really haven't. Joshua Klitschko was great. That was sort of like our entrance back into big time heavyweight boxing again, but in terms of an American pay-per-view match that delivered, 
welcome back. Welcome the hell back. Lots of fun. Brian, is that what going to a bullfight feels like? Do we need to get Ernest Hemingway on the horn to uh, to or tell Brent us? Jonathan or maybe Butler. Bryn Jonathan Butler. He's written about those events. I've never been to one. I've never been to Spain. I don't – I don't even know, but it sort of felt that way. I mean, you know, Fury committing wholly to the Matador Act and trying to keep it up for the entire fight, getting dropped twice, of course, the insane twelfth round. God, oh my! And then, and then Fury, we didn't even, we don't even talk. We talk only about Fury getting up in that twelfth round, which was incredible. But what about him basically coming back? And winning the rest of that round. Now, I wouldn't give him a 10-9 round in that, but still, Fury was, I would say, hurting Deontay Wilder down the stretch of that fight, who looked like he had perhaps shot his load. Wow. Wow. Uh, there's so much to talk about. You just nailed a lot of it right there. I want to ask you this, though, first. And yeah, I mean, that's what we can go an hour on that 12th round, the madness. About that 12th round, though, you were ringside for one of the fights I always wished I was, Rafe. That was Chavez Jr., Sexy Sergio, 2012, Thomas and Mac, correct? You were there? I, I was there. I was in the building. I've been told by people like Dan Raphael, Karen Mulvaney, that it sounded in the 12th round when Chavez dropped Martinez that an airplane took off inside the arena. It was that zero to, to 60 explosion. There's parallels to Wilder Fury to that fight, but it's not as dramatic. But in terms of that dramatic moment in the chaos and the crowd going insane. It, was it was it on par with that, or is that just another level of something you experience live? It's a parallel. It it, it deserves the comparison. Uh, the timing, the 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 heaviness of that knock knockout knockdown. The the just the idea that oh my god, is this guy going to get up and finish the round? And also the way that Martinez stood there and fought a little bit like like Fury ended up doing to to finish out those twelve rounds. Uh, so the, the the parallels make sense. I think that the crowd in Las Vegas for uh, Chavez Martinez was so it was you know it was a Mexican Independence Day weekend. It was at such a pro Chavez crowd and Chavez and Chavez had had almost no moments before that in the fight this was a a classic a a true all-time performance that Martinez was putting on through the first 10 rounds and you saw just a little bit of slowing down a little he got hit a couple times in the 11th and oh my god the 12th round this entire building goes nuts Oh my God, Brian! It was out of this world. I don't know if the, because this crowd in LA was more mixed, it was not as much of a hardcore boxing crowd because this was more of a heavyweight event crowd. I don't know if it the the building exploded quite in the same way. But I but, will say this: there's an app comparison there. I like the way you broke that down. It's real though when I say like. Heavyweight magic is back. That feeling, you know, when you hear Lou DiBella get up at the press conference and say there's nothing quite like a heavyweight title fight. That's not, you know, just blowing smoke. I mean, it's different. That feeling is different. The feeling that the fight can end at any time, that anything can happen. I mean, we've seen crap like Fan Man before. Heavyweight boxing is just freaking different, Rafe. Saturday night just felt different. I loved everything about it. I was rubbing it on my gums for the rest of the night. I mean, oh my, I mean, I could do a podcast on just what I ate in LA this week, how many Mexican food trucks I walked out in the middle of the night and just torta for days. Oh my, I could, wow. Oh, you carne asada fries. You, you changed my life there. Wow. But let's talk about that main course, which was the heavyweight championship fight. 
it goes down as a split draw. Coming in last week, your boy BC, who finally bit down and did it, predicted that Tyson Fury would win. I did say on the show, Fury would get up twice from knockdowns, and he would hang on for a split decision victory. Oh my god, that prediction came close. But it didn't happen, because once again at the highest level, the damn scoring rafe. Um, I don't know really where to go on this. I mean, we can bring in Paulie, of course. Boxing is full of shit, man. I mean, well, actually, we should probably bring in Paulie because he reacted on the air on the Showtime pay-per-view broadcast to the scoring when they were playing some replays. Guys, I don't even care about any of these replays. I, I really don't. I, I don't care about any of these because they matter nothing. This, this fight, this, this, this decision is a joke. Alejandro Iguokin better never work a day in his life again in boxing. I don't know. I don't know what else to tell you. I mean, we're looking at we're looking at highlights of a fight that we should be breaking down and why the result is the way it is. But I can't tell you why the result is the way it is. We're looking at certain highlights, but then I gotta explain to you why the result, why the, the way it shouldn't have. I, I don't know what to tell you anymore. I can't even do my own job. <laughs> well, it's. Sir- Wow, uh, that was really well said, Rafe. I'm gonna say it right here. I scored the fight 115-111. Tyson Fury, nine rounds to three. Of course he loses two points, cause I scored two 10-8 rounds. Even though the man who scored at 113-113, by the way, gave a 10-9 round in round nine because Fury had rallied back from the knockdown. Am I right in joining the mob and saying, okay, maybe not a full-on robbery because Good Lord, we've seen worse. <laughs> we've seen worse at the pay-per-view level recently. So, Teddy. It was an effective robbery. It's still a robbery. Yes, blah, blah, blah. So, yes, it's still a robbery. But am I right to join the brigade and be like, are you freaking kidding me? I saw one man box the ears off of another man and survive two knockdowns like he was Steve Cunningham against Amir Mansour. And we got to deal with another one of these like, oh, well, at least we got a rematch out of it. Yeah, that is some some true wasteman crap. The S houses in boxing, the wastemen, the dossers. This it it's. I think I honestly think that sucks. Um, it was a Tyson Fury did the performance that we thought he could deliver at his best, but still didn't quite believe because we didn't know quite how good he is and 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 what kind of shape he'd be in. And there were so many questions. He came out and delivered on that. And look, in scoring, you don't get points for getting up from big knockdowns, right? So I don't know if we that, that's that's great for his character well, and his bravery way, Ray, and his you, performance, you, but you, he doesn't get no points for that. But you also only get one point for a knockdown. And people are acting like because there's two knockdowns that Wilder should get another plus seven or something. I agree. I think there is almost no way, no honest way to go through, watch that fight and give rounds to Wilder when he is not, when outside of the two with the knockdowns and maybe a couple other swing rounds that were, were slow and close. And those were the ones I scored it eight rounds to four, 114, 112 for Fury. And I did that knowingly trying to look for extra rounds to give to Deontay Wilder. So, that was some so and so how did people get to five or six you saw I, look the man Lou DeBella the the promoter 
quote tweeted you, Brian, came after you. You had a tweet. I can't see how you can give more than five or six. You're being too polite, Brian. I don't see how you get to six. I don't, I don't, I honestly don't even think you should be able to get to five. It's, it, it's, I, so and, I gave and, Wilder and, and our friends in the media who scored this for Wilder, you are some dossers and wastemen too. Wow. Wow. And I think you're right on, uh, on that, by the way. Um, wow. So I gave him three rounds, meaning Wilder. Rounds 9 and 12 when he scored knockdowns. I gave him 10-8 rounds. And round 2, which, by the mm-hmm. way, was uh, it was almost like he landed one punch. Fury outboxed him. Wilder landed one big punch. And I was like, all right, he's going to get credit for that clean punch. But that was even a reach. I have, like my tweet said, I have no friggin' idea how people could give Wilder five rounds, which gets you to 113-113, which the second judge had, or give him upwards of six or more, which people like Dan Raphael and Lance Pugmire had at 114, 112 for Wilder, or that judge. No panache, Brian. No uh, panache. Or Waste the money. Or that damn judge. Uh, what's the guy's name? The guy that just Paulie just Rochin, ripped? right? Rochin. I mean, so he essentially said what with his score? His score was 115, 111 for Deontay Wilder. So Alejandro Rochin is essentially saying, Seven to five Wilder. That he won, Wilder he wins won that with seven. no knockdowns. Okay, guys, where the, were there close rounds in the first three or four? Yes, those were closer than the rest of the fight. But Wilder absolutely dominated, I mean, sorry, Fury absolutely dominated the rounds he didn't win. And anyone saying, well, he didn't land big shots. A, you're wrong, because he actually landed more telling shots, except for the two knockdown punches. I actually think Fury landed the bigger shots throughout the fight and actually followed through on what he said, which was he went for the knockout in certain rounds. And then B, guys, this is scored round by round. Why? I hate every time there's a, there's a controversy that everyone's an expert, yet they don't remember how boxing is scored. It's scored round by round. You get 10-9 or 10-8. Like, you just can't go, well, he didn't really land anything of power. Guess what? Wilder only landed like 70 punches in the fight. So, like, you can't have it both ways. Rochin had it 4 nothing Wilder to open. I think Dan Rayfield had it 4-1 Wilder to open. I don't understand that. Yes, those rounds were closer, but how do you not see Fury outclassing him? You do score defense, don't you? Look at Floyd Mayweather's career. You got to score defense. You. Thank you, Brian. Imagine you put a different fighter in that position, the favored fighter, the fighter that here in the States we think should and we, I guess, on some level, even though we're media and not supposed to want someone to win, it's pretty clear that the American fans and media wanted Wilder to win. That's fine. The British fans want Fury to win and their media wants Fury to win. That's fine. There's always a little bit of that country bias. But what I'm saying is put Floyd in there. Floyd, that like the rounds – in Floyd's career in big fights, whether it's against Manny Pacquiao or, or you you name it, that where nothing happens and the other guy and the the so-called aggressor, the guy expected to be the aggressor, can't get anything done, always go to Floyd. They go to the guy who's making the other guy look bad. That's what Fury did to Wilder throughout this entire fight, except for when he's getting his ass knocked down, but still. <laughs> I'm blown away that, like, and by the way, these were some of the same people who watched Klitschko Fury, and instead of realizing that Fury did a master class against Klitschko, like, disarmed him, confused him, frustrated him, and instead of being like, wow, Fury just Mayweathered Klitschko, we had a lot of our American writing brethren going, oh, that was a horrible fight, and uh, Klitschko sucked, and Fury sucked less, so he won. No! Like, Fury just disarmed the guy who was the champion for, like, nine years, and guess what? 
three years removed from a big fight, one year removed from 400 pounds. He just came in there and did it again to the most murderous puncher the sport has seen in years. Yes, this was a folk hero performance from Tyson Fury. We got to bring in a voice on this show that may become a regular voice to the soundboard. If anyone is not woke on this dude that that named Dwyer on YouTube, got a lot of followers on YouTube, boxing betting expert. Richard Dwyer, is it, Rafe? That's correct. That's correct. Hi, it's Dwyer. It is Dwyer. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, this guy is... There's a lot. There's a lot to get out of listening to Dwyer talk boxing. Wow. That opened the door for some really bad scoring. I mean, really bad scoring. Dwyer is kind of like Vince Scully-ish. There's dramatic pauses, but there's some salient points mixed in with some bizarre, ridiculous ones. But the guy's delivery is off the charts. And coming in, Rafe... This is what he said about Tyson Fury. Fury's not a good heavyweight. He's not even a very good heavyweight. He's a historical heavyweight. Damn right, Dwyer. Uh, it's Dwyer. It is Dwyer. Fury is Greg Maddox. <laughs> right? He's Greg Maddox. Deontay Wilder is more of the relief pitcher. Craig Kimbrell, the guy who comes in and who blows you out. Well, yes. I would do, I would do a John Rocker, but still. Still, seriously, let's stop and give Fury every ounce of credit he deserves. I don't care if you think robbery's too far. At the very least, he deserved better. At the very best, they screwed him. He came back after surfing safari and pinata and put on a performance like that. And no, Wilder's not an amazing boxer, but he proved once again that he's never going to be out of a fight because his speed and athleticism is out of control to mix with that power. Ray, Fury just, I mean, Fury's right. Every lineal champion that's come back, like Spinks after a year off to fight Tyson or Ali after three years off to fight Frazier, they get, they lose. He comes to this lineal champion. Woo, 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 woo. You, you know that Ali fought like Jerry Corey and like a much higher level guys before that, than Surfing Safari and the Pinata Man before that Frazier fight. Right. But I'm saying when they finally get back to the point of fighting, of defending their lineal title again, they've lost. He was right about that. Yet he had much worse competition, came back from something much more physically debilitating. <laughs> also facing a much worse heavyweight than Joe Frazier, but go ahead. A hundred percent. You are, to, to quote Tyson Fury, a hundred percent. But you got to give the credit for the life story coming back and then masterful boxing. Because I turned around, you sat behind me at press row, and I turned around multiple times to you and was like, oh my God, he's doing it, but he's going to run out of gas. Rafe, he never ran out of gas, and he may have had more gas than Tyson Fury, than Deontay Wilder. It seemed like he did. Uh, it, although, it does, that's the thing with Wilder. It doesn't matter that Fury may have had more gas in the tank at the end. He slowed down enough late that Wilder was able to land the handful of punches that, that so in enough people's eyes made this a draw. Uh, it's still not, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to get over the judging, man. I, this is, you know, you, you, we compare it to some of the other big fights that have, that have had, uh, unsatisfying scorecards recently. The two Canelo triple G fights. Those are genuinely difficult rounds to score though. That's what, that's why I think 
the 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 controversy, the 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 scorecards, everybody going crazy in those fights. That is appropriate because those there were so many rounds, probably more rounds than not in those two fights between Canelo and Triple G. That where you look around like I don't know who won that. They both did real good, and this was not that. You knew who won which rounds, and Tyson Fury won a lot more rounds. This was not a difficult fight to score. But you know what Fury has? I would argue that none of those three had that ridiculous gypsy king panache. Rafe, I don't want to go Dwyer and say he's historical, but certainly for this era, he just has another level of sophistication, IQ, hand movement inside his guard. He mesmerized Wilder. People were like, why didn't Wilder throw more? He puts you in a spot where it's so awkward you don't know what to do. And Wilder, to me, it looked like he threw that right quite a lot. I mean, he was looking for it. He's throwing giant punches in every round. He was just missing by a mile for most of the fight. And I'm curious what you, uh, what you think of this, Brian. Towards the end of the fight – obviously Wilder's having more success. He was, he started getting closer and, and in obviously the, those two big moments landing when Fury would do the thing where he was pulling back and, and, and ducking. Uh, and, and do you think that's because maybe Fury had tired enough and was just a split second slower doing the same movement that, that Wilder was catching up to him or was Wilder adjusting and thinking, okay, I see he is going, you know, he's going to try and get under this punch every time. Let me throw it somewhere else. And so did it seem like an adjustment or did it seem like, uh, Fury just, just getting a little bit fatigued? I I, maybe a mixture of both. I mean, I've seen in the past Wilder make adjustments. I think Wilder's a smarter fighter than people realize. Yeah. He's just not technical. But he's been able to live in his own awkwardness and make it work. And I think he does watch you throughout the fight, wait for you to tire to a certain degree, and then land the big shot. But that's kind of what happened in this fight. He just fought a different animal. And the whole talk coming in about mental toughness. And remember, I went back and forth. Every time I heard either guy talk, I felt like they were going to win just on their determination. You get a special fight when you put two guys that determined together. And we had that. I thought Wilder maybe made a little bit of a couple adjustments, but I thought in the end, like, he just got snake charmed because that's what Fury does. And I think Fury was hitting Wilder hard enough, Rafe, that Wilder realized I can't be full on reckless against this guy. It's just interesting. Yeah, and, and, and he could counter him well enough, right? He, he was going to, if you missed really, when, when Wilder was missing really bad, when Wilder started to slow down himself a little bit, Fury took it to him. Uh, that's one of an interesting thing. You could really see live in a way that I haven't noticed in watching Fury's fights on TV over the years. You could see which punches he decides to sit down on. You yes. could, there were, and a lot of the ones that look like he really put his, 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 his body into didn't even land, but you could, the, the, the difference between the ones where he's just scoring, looking to, you know, looking to, looking to box and the ones where he's like, okay, now I'm going to let go. You could really see, hear, feel that difference. It was interesting. No, no question about it. And certainly Wilder, by the way, deserves a lot of credit for mentally never falling out of the fight, keeping his focus, keeping his poise, dropping bombs when he needed to and it mattered. But Fury is so smart at when you think he's about to clinch or when you think he's about to exit the clinch, he leaps back in and lands a couple shots on you when it's sort of in that awkward split second in between. I mean, this guy's just, he's brilliant in there, Rafe. I don't understand how he's that quick for that size. I give Wilder credit for coming back, but this was Tyson Fury's night, and maybe it's better for boxing that neither get a loss, and now we can move on and both can do bigger things. No, it's not. 
This no, was, it's not. Yeah, this yeah, is from ahead. Tyson Fury's redemption song that got robbed from him. He had a lot of class afterwards, not going after in the post fight interview the, the the judges. And by the way, just so they get their moment in the in the sun or negative sun, Alejandro Rotran had it the one fifteen one eleven for Wilder, which is unacceptable. Robert Tapper had Fury winning one fourteen one ten, fine, definitely. Phil Edwards had it a draw one thirteen one thirteen, which I still think is a horrific scorecard because that means that you, British judge because that, that means you're giving five rounds to Wilder, which again I just I don't even understand that. But man, it's just like man, we can't. Uh, this is why we can't have nice things. Man. I agree. So yes, we can hype a rematch, which we think may not even happen right away because we already hear Tyson Fury pivoting to call out Anthony Joshua next. But I don't. The, we could have a rematch with or without the even if 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 Tyson Fury had gotten counted out, knocked out in the twelfth round, that fight would be worthy of a rematch. Even if Tyson Fury had won on the scorecards, like we believed he deserved to. This fight would still be worthy of a rematch. We don't need a bad car, bad scorecard draw to 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 ha- need a rematch in a fight. So that is crazy. The other thing is that it's if you look at the if we're talking about the mainstream fans, and I I'm always a little bit I don't care as much about courting the mainstream fans to boxing as as a lot of writers and and other boxing hardcores talk about like it's this this holy grail look we got a good thing going and it's healthy let's if more people get into it great if they don't i don't care but if we're talking about courting mainstream fans well what are the three fights in the last two years that the mainstream fans tuned into yeah canelo triple g1 canelo triple g2 and wilder fury Two of them were draws. One of them uh, – and look, the crazy thing is they were all great fights, like absolute – honestly great fights. I don't, no, uh, there's nothing wrong with saying that. They were great fights, but they all left something to be desired, something to be pissed off about afterwards. The, the, and there was a, a controversy every time, and there is this sense that, okay, you at the highest level of this sport, when you are supposed to care most – is when it is always going to turn around and kick you in the nuts. Yeah, it, it always does, and it's it's it makes me so mad. Like I didn't have a problem, by the way, with the scoring in the Adrian Broner Jesse Vargas fight, but your boy Dwyer did. Let me say this: I'm sure if you look up Broner's history, you're going to see that Broner got a draw with Jesse Vargas. Hey, that wasn't a draw in the Dwyer household. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, it wasn't. <laughs> oh, my God. Dwyer hates Broder, by the way. Dwyer hates Broder. You've seen in the clip opinion. of him sending you to hell over your uh, over your Usyk yes, scoring, I right? Did. Dwyer, Dwyer was shooting hard. In my opinion, the sun is setting on Adrian Broder. But I don't think Adrian Broner is remotely aware of how much his skills have eroded. Wow, wow. I mean, I mean, look, Dwyer brings it. I think this fight is a mismatch. <laughs> mismatch. <laughs> now, so, yeah, I mean, so to, to quote Dwyer, um, they had the split draw. There wasn't a split draw in the Campbell household, and I'm, I'm upset about it, but... Uh, Let's talk about the 12th round because it deserves its own moment here, Rafe. Fury doesn't fall. He wins the fight. We knew it could catch up with him. I don't know how Wilder, who was throwing kind of wide most of the fight, comes out with the most tight and perfect and aggressive and amazing shots in round 12. But he's stunned. 
Fury with a sneaky right hand and then came back with second right hand and then that sweeping left hook, which it not only turned Fury's chin. I mean, he fell hard. That Rafe, that kills everyone. That punch kills every person in the world knocked out cold. I think Fury was knocked out cold for like two seconds. And this is where you got to give Jack Reese credit. People say credit for being great at your job. How about credit for just doing your job and not teabagging Fury and calling the fight off, but actually counting to 10. And Fury, who can't explain it, but said he had the holy hands on him, rises up like the Undertaker. And you saw Wilder's face when he when he did the throat slash. He's dancing. Oh, my God, I saved it. And then he turns around and sees. And it's Rafe, it's not just that Fury got up. It's that his legs were there. And he nearly won the 12th round coming back like he did in that ninth round. Like how, Rafe, seriously, you remember when Tebow had that miraculous run? You remember when Jeremy Lin had that miraculous run? There were moments. Now both guys just happened to be Christians. Followers. Are you, are you coining something here? Are you coining gypsanity? Wow. Both guys just happened to be Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. I'm not necessarily making that connection here also with Fury, but there were moments during those runs where you're like, the hands of God are are making the impossible possible. I feel like Fury getting up in that 12th round was some kind of like spiritual, like something outside of the bounds of normal life happened in that moment, Rafe. True or false? I don't think it was outside the bounds of human life. No. Uh, I got to say, Brian, hey, look. Magic, was, Rafe. I, we Mag- know, Do you believe in yeah. magic? Come on. Look, no. Come on, Teddy. Bring it. I am not a piranha fish. I am not a fireman. <laughs> and I don't believe in man in magic. Uh, but what I, I'm thinking here is it was – it's obviously – we. it's something we haven't seen before when, when someone gets knocked down hard by Deontay Wilder. We know how hard he punches. It's easy to see. But at the same time, Wilder has not fought on this level. His best opponents were Luis Ortiz, who got up from some shots as well before he was, before he got knocked out, as well as Bermaine Stavern. Don't even, I don't even want to go there. Big John Fury calls him a Teletubby and he says it well. Um, so I, for me, it was, of course, impressive, amazing that he got, that Fury got rose from that, that, those punches. But at the same time, Seriously, and tell me if you think I'm crazy or, or hating or something. Um, do you think that it is more impressive that Fury got up from that right left hook, which were really devastating, than Anthony Joshua getting up from walking face first into maybe one of the other hardest right hands in heavyweight boxing history? No, Fury's is more impressive. Vladimir Klitschko. I mean, that that shot landed more Bro. much than either. Either, either Wilder punch. Yes, that was like the, 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 that was the, uh, a, a sledgehammer. That was Dr. Steelhammer. True. But Fury got hit by two punches and he said he was woozy by the right hand. And then that left hand was a clock cleaner, Rafe. That left hand was a murderous. Not his strong punch. hand though. I don't care. That left hand killed him, Rafe. I mean, that left hand was like. Bang. See you later. Left, right, good night. That was something serious, Rafe. Yes, I know you it don't was. believe in the magic. No, this is a higher Tyson Fury is is not a good fighter, Brian. He's not a very good heavyweight. He is a historic heavyweight. He did in the Dwyer up- household. <laughs> and and there I think at Tyson Fury's highest when on his good nights, I think that is 
that is true. I mean, he's showing it, uh, the way he's, he's competed at the highest level in this era. He, he deserves to be, to be thought of in that way. And those kind of fighters can take those kind of punches, right? The same way they, they do things that other men don't do. That's how they get there. That, Cause that's they kiss that's another man on the lips. That's how men deal. That's how men roll. He ain't a man. So he did back up all the talk about like, I'm a, Fighting born red man. I'm a gypsy. I'm blah, blah, blah. I will never, you know. I'm not pulling out nothing. It's on like Donkey Kong. He backed up all of that. Never jack, never back down. He'll be there till he can't breathe. I give him that credit. I think, you know what this performance showed me? Tyson Fury is the best heavyweight in the world. Wow. Wow. I, look, that's a fair case. I hope we get to see both of these guys fight Anthony Joshua. Let's do it on that five live podcast. They were with the BBC guys, Bunce and Costello and Andy Lee, who was wonderful. Uh, they're all, they were saying, comparing it to, uh, Lennox, Lennox Lewis, uh, Holyfield, Riddick Bowe, that kind of trio. I, that one, we didn't get to see Riddick Bowe face all those guys. I hope we get to see these three fight each other. And I hope and we get to see look. it in Wembley because you know where Wembley is. And it's the first place of AJ. 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 AJ, you need to get involved with this. Don't, don't go to kind well, of with Vladimir. This is, <laughs> hello. Hi, my boxing fans. Welcome to Kamustota. I want to say hi to my brother. Hey, guys. Really proud of my brother. Um, After the fight, of course, everyone's talking rematch, rematch, rematch. I said on CBS Sports HQ right after, I said, don't be so sure. Because Fury is a smart businessman. He's a spoiler in the ring. He's a bigger spoiler out of it. Do we not forget that he just slid in the DMs of Joshua Wilder to make this fight happen and break up the what we thought we were getting? I almost guarantee you, Rafe, that Fury's next fight is against Anthony Joshua in Wembley. Carl Frotz there to make sure the attendance doesn't go over 80K. And I predict that he wins that fight. And then Fury Wilder 2 in England is going to be the biggest heavyweight fight in 20, 25 years, whatever. Like, it's like AJ can't. Sorry, AJ just went in in the time of a span of a year from like kind of number one pound for pound heavyweight to number three. No, 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 no. Come on, is this Danny show? No, it's it's just no, no. true. This it's is true. This is AJ's show. Um, Wilder's knocking AJ out. I think you know that in your heart. And th- I I think that is a first man to land something serious wins fight. The people uh, that saying Wilder that that like that like AJ doesn't come into that fight trying to do what Tyson Fury did and last 12 rounds. There's a good chance that AJ, the basically more well-rounded still, we see his flaws. Of course we see that AJ is not a perfect boxer. He's not as talented. I, I would say pure boxing talent and technical skill. I would give that to Fury 100%, but power looking to finish those things matter too, right? We just saw a guy that Fury can outclass, almost knock him out cold because of that power in that division. So, and with, so with Joshua, if he fights Wilder, maybe he gets to Wilder first and we don't, we, Wilder's never really had to, okay, now Wilder has dealt with a guy like Fury who's going to come in and outbox him, try and, try and survive, you know, spoil him, make him look bad, win rounds that way. What Wilder's never seen a guy his size or roughly his size with power, with boxing ability, who who's going to come after him the way that he comes after opponents. I just think Joshua's chin is more suspect than Wilder's. 
That's possible. Yeah. I mean, so I we, yeah, it Wilder's is more so. going to hit the bomb and he's going to make Joshua like cautious. Like he, anyway, like, I want to see the fight. I think it's a good fight. I don't, I, if you want to, I think it's a pick them. You pick whoever you like best. Uh, out right, of those right three fights. your head. Who's the favorite uh, in Fury Joshua right now? Who's the favorite? The fit. Well, the favorite for reasons I do I factor I'm going to factor in what I think the judges will do because Fury could get robbed on his home home soil because of everything that AJ is worth there uh so I think that in a similar fight he could that 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 Fury could look better feel like he deserves the fight and still lose a decision to AJ um uh pure ability oh man it's tough uh you know, I, I don't, I want to, I want to, I, I like AJ. I think he gets a bad rap. I think he's been sort of outmaneuvered outside the ring more than inside the ring. I, I think, I think he's the, the, the PR game has, has, he hasn't played it as well as these other guys. So I think he's a lot closer, but I still, if you, you force me, I'd say Fury, Joshua Wilder. Wow. Wow. Very interesting. The good news is that you mentioned We've got three kings right now, and they're all undefeated, all right? No, they're not as good as the 90s guys. No, they're not as good as the 70s guys. But you don't need people to be historically great. You need fun people who can talk, that are fun to watch, that can bang, that can left-right good night, and are willing to fight each other. So we hate the scoring. We hate what that means. But the division's still going to be really fun with fights that matter. Uh, I mean, look, just on CBS Sports, the digital numbers for this fight were outrageous. People cared about it, Rafe. That's you said, great. You said three kings, Brian, but I, I believe you are forgetting the one true king, the fourth king, the king of kebabs. He likes oh, steak, bloody. Wow, wow, wow. I love where you're going with that, Mama Finger. Uh, Mama <laughs> Finger, Papa Finger, it's so good. You look at you happy now. Funny that uh, Wilder ripped him on our podcast last week, saying Usyk don't move up, and you sent me some video of Fury kind of doing the same about Usak, as he was calling him, but you're right. We do have four unbeaten Wow, wow! We got secondary guys like, like Ortiz. We got, you know, White and Chisora. It's fun, Rafe. It matters. We're building a 90s stable. No, they can't be as good because somehow boxing is the only, think about it. Boxing is the only sport where people regress historically. It's ridiculous, but it's true because none of these guys grow up in a boxing gym from when they're seven years old like the guys in the 70s and 90s did. All these guys are coming to there as failed athletes in other sports, right? That's kind of part of it, but. Hey, I'll take it. This is fun ass stuff. Fury, Joshua next. It has to be. Fury's a TV free agent in the States. Not that the States is the priority. The British TV is the priority for that kind of fight, but you'll probably see it on the zone or something. I don't know. I want to just want to see it. I just want to see it. I also think it's a very smart move business wise from Fury if he goes in that direction because if they go into an immediate rematch, I I still don't think there's any way they can get that on British soil. Frank Warren good promoter i don't think he's got the juice to take that from pbc and al Heyman and say we're doing it in the uk this time i just i don't see it happening that way so instead if he wants to get that wilder rematch on british soil he's got to go beat edgy first in the birthplace of edgy wembley stadium and say hello to my brother shane fury and my cousin you know no no hello to huey fury you're not in the family anymore um anyway Ah, uh, Brian, you I wanted to throw a little what does it look like at you because I know you're hyped. You've got you've got 
fury boar meat blood coursing through your veins. You are pumped right now about this man. You love him. You love him. And that's okay. It's okay to love another man like that. And the any way you do want to love another man is okay. You love Tyson Fury, Brian. Yeah. So in the Campbell household, he is a uh, historic heavyweight, as he is in the Dwyer household. Uh, I want to ask you, <laughs> Brian Campbell, what does it look like? Prime George Foreman oh, against the Gypsy King Tyson oh, Fury. Oh, no. Are you willing to go that far? No, no. Prime, prime George Foreman sends him to hell eventually. I mean, prime, like, well, what do you say? You, when you say prime, you're saying like Joe, Joe Frazier fight Foreman as yes. opposed to like yes. Michael Moore Foreman. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's gonna, he's gonna send him to hell. Seventies George sends yeah. him all I mean, the way. Look, those there. guys back then, even the guys like Foreman, who was rough on the edges for a guy at that level, still had the Olympic pedigree, still had, you know what I mean? Still grew up in a damn gym, idolized, you know, during a time when Boxing was king on the damn radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't do it. I can't All do right. it. I was, I was but, trying to tempt you into going insane there look, with your Fury well, love. But. Straight up, I, I predicted Fury would do this. I thought he would. You, as a little bit more of a sober bystander, were you like legitimately surprised by the end of that fight at what Fury had accomplished? Um, I was impressed. I don't know about surprised because I, I knew that that was a possibility that if. That one, because Wilder has these technical limitations, and two, because Fury, at his best, if he can keep it up, can be that good, that Fury might come up, come out and put on a show and really outclass the guy for most of the fight. And the argument against that was, well, he's just untested in the, in the, you know, in this comeback. We don't know if anyone can do that for 12 rounds against a puncher like Wilder. And the, just the safer bet was that he, he wouldn't quite get there. And to give him credit, he did it. I think he did, he did get all the way there. Of course, there was some credence to all the people who were like, no, Wilder's going to catch up with him and eventually stop him late because we were about like 0.10 seconds away from that being the case. Uh, so, so both of those views of the fight going in, uh, were, were justified to some degree, but you gotta give Fury, I, I personally give Fury the credit, and I believe most sober fans should, that that man pulled it off. He, he beat the count. It was not a long count. He beat that 10 count at the end of the, in the 12th round. He got up from getting cracked in the eighth round. He outfought Deontay Wilder, and I think he did enough to win that fight. I think he has potential, and I know when you say crap like this, lightning will strike you. I'm not going to compare Tyson Fury to Muhammad Ali and his impact on society, but 70s Ali became the legend he is to people that maybe didn't agree with his political side in the 60s and hated him because 70s Ali took crazy chances and persevered and became a folk hero. Fury, in today's modern age, is being his own version of a boxing folk hero. And it's almost Ali-like to a small degree because we don't have anyone like that really today. So somebody where you're just like, I don't know how he's going to do it, but I can't bet against him. He can do it. You know, one of those type of things. You know, like that was, it gave me that feeling. So I don't know. You know, we just give him, we give him a shout out. Shout out to the Irish crew. Maybe we'll let him, you know, sing a little bit. Baby, I just don't get it. Do you enjoy being heard? I know you smell the perfume, the makeup Make on your shirt. You don't believe these stories. No. You know that they're all lies. 
Bad as you want, you stick around, but I just don't know why. If I was your man, baby, you never worry about. Yes, yes, the ADK crew, Alex Godinez crew, all the damn crews. Oh, real quick, uh, DM slide from one of our passionate listeners, Scott Henry at Scott Sprint, Utah. He says, Rafe, is Fury quote unquote back? Or was this a flash in the pan performance and he's going to disappear again? I assume Scott is basically saying, is Fury going to mentally go off the deep end again and really was able to put it together for one fight? You have any fears of that before we get out of this topic? Of course, you got to be a little scared of that. It's happened before. It could happen again. I hope it doesn't, both because I, I like him as a character, as a fighter, uh, as a man. I care about his people. I care about his life. I care about him. All right. Well said. But it could uh, happen. It could happen. Uh, Raphael, on the damn undercard, let's speed through this quick. We got a big show. Uh, Jared Hurd had a weird fight with Jason Wellborn in which he stopped him. But was I the only one picking up on this that Hurd realized early that this crazy Englishman didn't have any power, just seven KOs, and was kind of letting Wellborn just close the distance and back him up to the ropes? And it made me feel like Hurd was just trying to get in rounds until Wellborn started to empty the tank and may have hurt him twice there. And then suddenly Hurd just presses, you know, the button and turns into a Superman and knocks him out with a damn uppercut to the boob. Like, did you see that? That was vicious. I almost was like, Hurd, what are you doing in there? You're letting this guy, like, almost surprise you. Did you catch any of that? Yeah, I was I was surprised that the fight looked semi-competitive through three rounds. I mean, like, oh, wow, Wellborn is doing some stuff in here. I, I, didn't, I didn't chalk it up to maybe... Heard carrying him, but that is certainly a possibility. Honestly, that might be a better theory than anything I was coming up with in the moment. But, uh, you know, what are you going to say? This was a terrible matchup, and I guess it was kind of fun. More fun than we expected. More fun than Jaime Munguia versus the Backstreet Boy from Canada. But The whole talk is really – Get this garbage out of here is what I got to say. Well, it was really more about what happened after the fight. Yeah, you know I'm the best. My boy, Jermel Charlo, Lions Only Time, came in. Rafe, I haven't seen the replay, so I still don't know what was said between the two of them in the ring. But it looked like they needed to be separated. It looked like we're building if Charlo gets by Tony Harrison on December 22nd to, honestly, one of the best fights you can make in the sport. Jared Hurd, Jermel Charlo, it's like a top five fight you can make in the sport, in my mind, right now, Rafe. How freaking fired up would you be for that? Because I'm, like, off the rails. Like like Dwyer once said. I think that's magic. I would... That's that's um that is just yes. That would be great, Brian. I, you know, I am so snake bitten by the the sport in general, perhaps even more so the PBC side of things that just because two guys get in the ring together and challenge each other after a fight and say I love your daddy, but let's get it on, that doesn't mean they're going to get anything on. So w- wake me when this fight is made. Wow. Well, you ain't touch it yet. Yeah, well, I think they'll touch amps for that fight. It'll probably be a Fox pay-per-view for all we know, so I'll wake you when it's in time to pay for that, Rafe. Uh, you think you're touching herds, but in fact you're touching turds. Wow. Uh, Luis Ortiz stayed active, blew out Travis Kaufman. Joe Hanks got sent to hell by Joe. The juggernaut. The juggernaut, Joe Joyce. Speaking of Dwyer, Dwyer's got a video of why better should have bet big on Joe Hanks to upset. Uh, maybe we need less Dwyer on this show in, my, in the Dwyer house. I don't know. Dwyer's uh, out of control. I know I sound like a crackpot. Not the first time. Wow. Wow. Uh, all right, Rafe. Uh, you got anything else from that? Oh, yeah. From the undercard, a really important fight happened, but it was from Quebec City, televised on the Showtime preview show. And it was Adonis Stevenson, Superman, the light heavyweight king, 
after a five-year run atop the 175 division, the longest reigning title holder in the sport, the oldest title holder in the sport at 41, gets stopped in the 11th round by Alexander Vodzik with Teddy Atlas in the corner, or once again, as Dwyer would say it, Alexander Grovestick. <laughs> I've got a gross big Oh, wow. Ivan Redcock. Uh, now where we get serious though, Rafe, because, uh, shocking result to see Adonis Stevenson get stopped in the 11th round by punches and then to find out that he was in collapsed in the locker room afterwards, was in critical condition, was placed into a, uh, a medically induced coma and has now been, uh, I guess upgraded to stable condition. So certainly, uh, you know, our prayers are with Adonis, even though he is boxing's villain in a lot of ways because of his shady past and his avoidance of Kovalev and, he, and Elider Alvarez throughout his run. Uh, that, you know, that's scary. That's really scary. So we'll, we'll shelf that on the side for a second. Not much more to say for that than, you know, we hope he turns it around. But from the fight wise, it was good theater. Wow, Rafe. We are, we are, we're firemen. No, we're piranhas. Wow. Wow. What a performance from the Ukrainian Alexander Vuzdik. Yeah, this, I, he, I, well, we watched, he, I wouldn't say that he looked like a million bucks in there, but he got the job done. He, he, and, and we both thought this was probably going to happen at this stage in, uh, Stevenson's career. And let me just sort of reiterate that regardless of all the, the, the sort of the, the, his, Stevenson's criminal history, which is truly odious, you don't want to see that happen to, to any person, any fighter in any situation. And, and hopefully that the news that he is already upgraded to stable condition means that he'll have a, a, basically full recovery and, and have a, you know, wealthy, good life from here on out, assuming it probably is the end of his boxing career at age 41. Um, Vozdik, he has looked great at certain times against the, the likes of Unieski Gonzalez, uh, who may not have been the world beater. We thought he, he had a chance to be in that great war with Jean Pascal. Um, and then has looked so-so, and I think we saw both sides of this in Vozdik, uh, in the fight where he started bizarrely slow, couldn't pull the trigger. Dude, he fought like an a-hole for the first two rounds against Adonis. Like, he was getting lit up, he wasn't throwing. And then he started to take control in the middle rounds, got hurt bad, almost went down in the 10th. It basically took a version of Adonis' best punch, and then, boom! Comes out in the eleventh and goes goes to town. And then here, um, and then here's, and then we find out why boxing sucks afterwards. Let me t- tell me if I'm wrong on how I how I describe this fight. Vazdik lost the first two rounds. Then outside of that one punch in the ninth or tenth when he got hurt, he not only won every round. Rafe, he was outclassing Stevenson, who looked winded. Vazdik had really good foot movement. Teddy's in the corner yelling, "We're piranhas. We take small bites," which is just bizarre. But good for Teddy for having another moment. Vodzik technically brilliant. I thought he was a big heading into that 11th round when he really stepped on the gas and hurt and finished Adonis. And then we find out afterwards that of the three judges' scorecards, two of them had Adonis up 98-92, and one of them had, what, the fight even? Well, I, it was, I think it was 98-92, 96-94, and even. So Are not, you but, freaking but kidding any... me, Rafe? Yeah. It was, that's bad. I'm that's more bad mad stuff. at this than I am about Wilder Fury scoring. Now we got a quote from Teddy who talked to Lem Satterfield of boxing scene and said, quote, it's criminal anytime you put a Canadian judge into that spot for a fight like this. The 98-92 score was ludicrous. You might as well just say ahead of time, 
You're going in there one card down. Just be honest and say that we're handicapped because that's what you're doing when you have a judge there from another fighter's country. It's like we would have to win every round to get a split decision. Now, Teddy's quote doesn't fully work because the judge who had it even in the Fury Wilder fight was from Britain. But the point here is that they were going to straight up rob Alexander Grovestick. And I, I can't take this anymore. Rafe, that's unacceptable. He was outclassing Adonis. I, I, I admire your passion here, Brian. To me, the right guy won. I'm not going to get, there's enough things, there's enough things that happen in boxing that go all the way to the wrong result. We just spent 45 minutes talking about one. I'm not going to, no, and, no, and then, no, and then no, on no. top of that, there's the, the bigger issue of Adonis's health in this story. And I don't, I don't mean to high horse you on that, but it's just sort of, I can't get there to care that much about, uh, uh you know, the right guy won. That is not permissible. That is not allowable. There's no doubt about it. Uh, it's tough, Rafe. And I don't mean to separate the importance of the Adonis story, but the right guy won. I mean, again, it's, it's just, uh, man, I mean, it's, no, it's bad. No, I mean, you are right in principle because if this fight doesn't get stopped, if, if Bozdik doesn't have that moment and doesn't, you know, really just finish it, go, go recognize that, that Stevenson was, was gassed and tired the way we've seen in a lot of his fights. He tires late. Uh, even, even the great Andy Funfara had him down late in their first fight. Uh, so, so, you know, obviously Vozdik recognized that, that this was an opportunity. He stepped on the gas and he finished and he did what he should have done. But if he hadn't, Done that, we're looking at two robberies in two big fights. So, all right. He's right. He's right. I mean, what a performance though, Rafe. I know you're saying he wasn't a world beater. I thought his boxing really was good. And then to, to finish like that, that powerfully, we got another player in this Ukrainian invasion. You know, we got another guy in the camp of Lomachenko, Usak, and now Vuzdik. And did you see your boy Loma in the locker room with the WBC belt threatening to cut the the picture off of the belt of Adonis, uh, you know, not knowing at the at that point. Right, that, that has not aged well, but it was that funny in not. the moment. Wow, uh, uh, for, big... Brian, four four titleists at one seventy five. Give me a quick, you know, where, how who do you like there? You've got Vozdik with the Grovesdik. Uh, you've got uh, our guy Beterbiev. You've got Bivol with one, and Elider Alvarez, uh, who of course has to defend his belt in the Sergey Kovalev rematch. Who do you like in that it's mix hard to now? Tell with this new blood. I don't think Elider Alvarez is as good as that knockout of Kovalev screams he is. I think we have a really kind of equal group here, which is interesting. I mean, you better believe I like Artur, but he also hasn't leaped off the page consistently. Uh, probably a long-term favorite. Bivol or Vuzdik because of the the amateur background, their poise. But at the same time, what we talked about, they'll knock you out if they hurt you, but they won't go out of their way to do it. So I like the division. I think we're going to see some fun fights, but I don't see a, a clubhouse leader at the moment. I think Elider Alvarez is the biggest wild card because he's a guy who didn't have power early on in his career. What, he had knuckle issues or something weird? wasn't punching with his full knuckles, and now he's figuring out how to punch. It's interesting. I just feel like Sergey Kovalev is like done, done to the point that I mean, we shouldn't say this in light of Adonis' health, but if Adonis comes back and Kovalev wants to come back, you might as well just make that fight eventually. I I favor the Russian, Brian. Wow, that could wow. be up to four people in this division, given the Al Bundy definition of Russian. Uh, the Russian, I think, is is more to my liking. Okay. Now, 
Wow, what a wild weekend. Uh, Rafe, speaking of wild weekends, uh, we also had the... <laughs> wow, wow, the sloppy Super Bowl down under. All right, Rafe, you know what I want to get into, even though you crapped on it last week after you peed in a damn cup live on the air. What are you going to do, drop a deuce in a can this week? But you know I want to get into the thunder from down under the sloppy Australian Super Bowl that was Jeff friggin' Horn against the shapeshifter Anthony Mundine. And to do that, we had to enlist a friend, friend of the program, freelance boxing writer, Australia's own Alex McClintock joining the show because we got to get the perspective because to Rafe, this is just sloppy meat to us. But for the people down there, it's still real to them, damn it. Alex, thank you for joining the program. Good day, fellas. How are you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, mate. You that's you think that's a knife. This is a knife. Yeah, let's get let's get crocky right here. Alex, you're a veteran boxing writer, formerly of Australia, currently of Canada. Personal choice, you made that switch, but did you watch? Did you see it? Did you feel it? Did you experience all things horn mundane, brother? Uh I was horned. I got up. I was up at six o'clock in the morning. It was like minus five outside. Got my ESPN Plus up, watched about an hour and a half of undercards and some commentators killing time, and then got that beautiful minute and a half. Oh, wow. It, it was very, very, very quick. Uh, but I, what I really want to get from you is how much did this matter? This is like a, 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 uh, this is a carnival to us, a circus. But how much does this fight really matter down under? Was this like, you know, it didn't matter the weight class because this damn shapeshifter Mundine would have fought at strawweight <laughs> if he could have made it. Is this just all about crowning the man of the moment in Australia or was this a money grab? What was this to the people of your home country? I think it was a little bit of both. Like it was definitely a money grab. We'd like have to say that it was a money grab. Um, but, you know, like Mundine is such a big name down under. It's hard to get across just how big a star he is to Americans because he was – a professional football player for like five years before he became a professional boxer. And now he's been a pro boxer for like 18 years. Um, so yeah, he's a big name. He was the biggest name that Jeff Horn could have faced. Like I, I bet you this did more numbers than, uh, the Crawford fight. Like nobody in Australia knows who Terrence Crawford is. Wow. Uh, Alex, I wanted to ask sort of along the same lines, how seriously did Australian boxing fans take this matchup. I mean, over here, I, I, it, it did seem to me like a money grab and that Mundine is, uh, what, 40, in his mid forties, early forties? Um, He's 43. Oh my God. Yeah. And the, the fight played out, uh, sort of how I ex- expected it to, a, a very quick joke. Um, <laughs> was, were, were there higher expectations in, uh, for, for Australian fans or, or, or not? Well, I mean, I think there was definitely, everyone was totally aware that it was a cash out kind of fight, right? And that Jeff Horn should totally have won. I think people were probably a bit surprised it happened as quickly as it did because like, I mean, Mundane is obviously washed, but he looked really washed in there. <laughs> like, really washed. Um, so I think people thought, you know, here's something that Jeff Horn should win, like by all rights, but who knows? 
It's the I, shapeshifter. I know. Like, well, that's, that's what's interesting is, you know, Horn was moving up to middleweight from Welter, and Mundine fought a friggin' cruiserweight a year ago. Seriously, McClintock, how does this physically happen? Like, what is going on here? Is this guy reptilian? I, I don't understand it. You know when you cut off a snake's body, it just grows back? Is this guy have things <laughs> going on that we don't know about? I don't know, man. He was saying in the pre-fight build-up that he's been out on the farm, like, chasing around, chasing emus around and, and goannas and this and that. Is that and and I did see that video. Is that a standard uh, training technique for, for for Australian boxers, or did he just come up with that idea? Have you have you heard of that before in your in your your career covering the sport? There, I think that like goes back to like the Archie Moore days. Archie Moore said some crazy stuff about getting diet advice from an Aborigine who told him to like chew the meat and spit out the juice. Wow, so maybe really Mundine could be like a head of the game, you know what I mean? Like we always talk about guys sticking needles everywhere, but he don't he don't need them performance enhancing audio. Just... I mean, emus emus not being mammals do you do not have to be castrated first like the boars that tripped up the the Fury Boys back in the day. True, and I mean, did you catch that video of Jeff Horn chasing the chicken as well? Yes, yes, he, 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 he cornered it. He used those angles. He cut off the, the cage, so to speak. And then, and then Jeff Horn was let out the cage. Uh, <laughs> Alex sent me this fantastic sound of Mundine ahead of time that got me all excited. And then I was equally disappointed when he lost. I'm telling you, man, just tune in. Get the pay-per-view. Get your popcorn. Get your ice cream. Whatever. Cocoa pops. Whatever you want to eat. And watch the man do his thing. Believe me. I'm, I am the show. You ain't the show. I'm the show. Yeah, well, you were the show, Mundine, for like 82 seconds. How, like, <laughs> so when this made the rounds, now I was on the West Coast. I was in L.A. for Wilder Fury. I did not watch this live, but I did wake up with a hangover at 4 a.m. I couldn't watch it live. But when I woke up with a hangover to use the restroom, the fight had just ended, and I quickly went in and saw the replay, and everyone on my timeline was saying the fix was in. Can you clarify for us here? Did Mundine get hit? Because, man, that sucked. I wanted to see a sloppy war, and that fight blew. What the heck happened out there? I don't know, man. I don't think the fix was in. I think, as I said, he was just, like, so deeply washed. He looked afraid of everything Jeff Horn was throwing. Like, I don't know. It was kind of like shades of... I said this on Twitter, but like it was shades of, uh, Danny Green, Roy Jones, you know? It's like that one weird shot, it goes down. I don't know. It's like there's been a, a bad run of those things happening in Aussie boxing in the last 10 years. So Aussie boxing doesn't have a great reputation in the States, Alex. I'm sure you're aware of this. Anytime they prop a guy up, He'll get sent to hell. I mean, hey, Wash Giel had a pretty good run there for a while until Barker had no business getting up from that body shot. When Barker's dead brother came in the ring and resurrected him. By the way, Barker's brother may have gotten Tyson Fury up on Saturday night. We'll have to look into that deeply. <laughs> but um, are you okay with that representation that Aussie boxers are considered frauds in these lower 48s? Or are you hoping that there's a Tiger Woods on the rise to change the game for Aussie boxing? Well, what about Michael Zarafa, man? He's fighting on Saturday. Oh, the, sh the damn stripper. The stripper. Well, he's got to give his soul back to Peter Quillen first. <laughs> um, Alex, you also spent some time writing a, a really great in-depth story on Jeff Horn's trainer, Glenn Rushton, yes. who is 
whose reputation is amazing here in the U.S. because of his um, how was he described in that documentary as part um, uh, Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins part uh, and he's also a, a billionaire investor and Steven the Cobra Seagal. Kai dojo man. He has a, a fountain with dolphins in his in his mansion, which is in front of his boxing gym. You've been there. Give us some rushed oh, yeah. in stuff. Give us some behind the scenes with Glenn. Uh, take you to that house of dreams, as he calls it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Like, the House of Dreams is great, but, like, it is definitely the best house in the worst street. Like, that's what you don't see, is that it's not in, like, the greatest area, but it's, like, this epic Miami Vice mansion. Um, and he's running, like, this uh, financial services company. He says he's got $40 million under management. I have no proof whether that's true or not. But, like, he's doing his little, like, uh video hookups with people doing their investment advice. And then the gym's just next door. It's pretty fantastic. And he's got all the like karate certificates and black belts and stuff. The pictures of himself as like a just shredded 25 year old. It's fantastic. I feel like this guy's going to end up in jail for fraud. Like some, like something's going to break eventually. Like it just seems too perfect. This Tony Robbins, Steven Seagal mix and he's a billionaire and he's this martial arts genius. Like something, there's something sketchy behind the scenes here. You think he's touching H's? What's going on? I couldn't possibly speculate, man. He's definitely got like, he does have this kind of Tony Robbins extreme eye contact, very, uh, considered, speech delivery thing going on that's very convincing when you're with him and then afterwards you're like what happened did he hypnotize me <laughs> he, he speaks it he believes it he receives it oh, uh, hey. i think is what we say these days uh what was the name of his fighting style that he coined and and developed all by himself i can't believe you don't remember this man broken rhythm pressure fighting oh my god sounds like a masturbation technique that's just not gonna fly that's just really that's just Oh no! Actually, no, that's not true. There's there's two styles. So what, what he teaches Jeff, what he teaches Jeffrey is the broken rhythm pressure fighting. Oh god! His style is the scorpion. Oh my god! This guy is so weird. There's so many it's like weird Jeff characters. not ready for the scorpion yet. What's going on? <laughs> like like Alex does. Like okay, here's my real question here: Are Aussie boxing figures just so damn weird, or is just the Jeff Horn story and the Jeff Horn team in this? This blowhard Dean Lonegran, are they just a pack of like odd squad weirdos or is this Aussie boxing? Uh, it's probably a little bit of both going on, but th that is like the, that's the far end of, of the spectrum, I would say. All right. You There's got any, some special characters. You got any good Dean Lonegran stories? Cause we like to hear him on the show a lot. He should just harden up. Like seriously, bang it full of quarters and get on with it. Well, yeah, actually when I went up to do that profile of Glenn Rushton, uh, I was staying with a mate in Brisbane and I went to go to the supermarket or like to the bottle shop to pick up some beers. I was walking down the street and my mate was talking to me and I was talking about Jeff Horn's autobiography, which is like heavily ghostwritten as you can probably imagine. <laughs> and, uh, I'm talking about it and this bloke turns around, he's standing in front of me and he's like, Oh, what, what'd you think of that book? And I, I was like, yeah, it was all right. It was pretty obviously ghostwritten, and I was about to rip into it. And then the mystery man turns around, and it's Dean Lonergan. Oh, no. So I'm lucky I didn't full-on unload because I might have, like, lost my access for that <laughs> for that piece. Um, 
And Alex, I don't know if Brian wants to play this sound drop of Keith Thurman sort of uh, dismissing Jeff I Horn recently. Horn, I've had the drop. Uh, Jeff Horn. He's looking Who's for Jeff Horn. Nobody. I don't. I got so. Nobody. Uh, do you? I mean, do you? Did that? Did that offend you at all? Do you? Do you want to stand like, stand up for Jeff Horn and defend his reputation? I I felt like it a little bit. I feel like we're a little overly dismissive of Jeff Horn here uh, in the states. He he. And it's a sad, sad thing to think about, but I said it to Brian last week. I think he might be the best opponent Terrence Crawford gets in the next two years. I think, like, I think he's a really good fighter. He's a tough guy, and if you put him in with the right people, he's going to make really fun fights. So, like, what's to hate? I think, you know, obviously the American viewers, they got the full Teddy Atlas treatment on the controversial Pacquiao win. And that's just, like, led people to not be that into him. But, like, if you, like, put him in with, like, some of these guys at 154 after seeing, like, I mean, I don't know how much we should take out of what he did to Mundane, but, like, put him in with, like, Jaime Munguia, that's a, that's a slobber knocker. Bro, he's going to get eaten. He's going to lose his – he's going to forfeit his soul right in the center of the ring oh, there. Come on. Come on, Brian. Cut this. No. Oh, stop that. Just, no, well, no, the other no, one no. I had is, um, you know, uh, Julius Julianus, like your man, all things Latin American boxing on Twitter. He was talking about uh, how they'd already been in discussions pre-Pacquiao for a fight with the pistol, Herman – Kerman Lekaraja. Woo! A knocker as well. Yes, that I that would be very exciting, especially. Do you think if they do that fight in Bilbao, which maybe maybe they would do it in in Sydney or Brisbane or 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 in Australia, but if they did it in Spain, would Jeff Horn be able to withstand that pre-fight uh, Spanish ballet that they did to Frankie Gavin that clearly just took his head out of it and he was he had no chance after that. Could is Horn strong enough mentally to deal with that? I think so, man. When you've got the Glenn Rushton treatment, he's just so focused that nothing's going to throw him off. Now let, let's talk about Horn's end game here because this was a great Rocky story. It's had some few chapters to it. He's already sort of maxed himself out against Crawford. We know who he is. Do you see his end game hanging around in Australia and being an attraction for other people to come to him for big money? Or do you see this guy end up getting served up to like the Earl Spences and getting sent to hell a few times and then going back to gym teaching? What, what, what's going on here? I don't know. You might end up, you might end up getting a bit of both, you know, cause like he can definitely make good money at home and he's going to make good money for other people at home, which makes it attractive to like go over there and fight him if you're a guy like, I guess, Kerman or whatever. Um, why wouldn't you? If you can, like, come and do a pay-per-view in Australia and make a couple of million bucks, which is way more than you're going to make. Well, I don't know about the new – when the money when you got the, the zone money, who knows? But it's a good payday. Um, and then, yeah, he – I mean, he knows he can probably make decent money fighting domestic-level opponents who he's going to beat. There's no one there in Australia who's at his level. So I think you – yeah, I reckon we'll see a bit of both. I think we'll see – I don't know – if he's gonna be at 147, cause he's, he's a pretty big welter. So I think he's probably gonna end up at 154. Uh, and we'll just see who he ends up fighting. I reckon, I mean, like, I would love to see that Mungia fight. Cause, like, you might think his, his soul gets taken, but I think he, like, gives it back for a while. 
Now you just get now you keep mentioning DeZone. You got me convinced now that he's going to be a Canelo opponent. Like like no doubt about it. Like we're going to want Canelo Jacob, Canelo said, Triple G. Said it in the post fight press conference. Speak it, believe it, receive it. That's oh, right. Oh my god! Wow! Uh, wow! So uh, my last question to you on this whole thing is: How does this fight? Horn Mundine with Mundine going down via left hook very early, not getting back up. How does it recalibrate the Australian boxing hero rankings at the moment? Whether it's popularity, love, respect. I mean, is Horn the guy? Does this make Horn the guy now? Is this the equivalent of like Manny knocking out Oscar and the pay per view po- torch being passed? What does this mean? Totally, except that with Mundine, he's more like a Floyd Mayweather kind of figure. Uh, in that he is a guy that talks shit and people buy the pay-per-view on that basis. So everyone was glad to see him get knocked out, basically. Um, it's just like another opportunity for like Jeff to like build his name and have his name on like the front, hit the front page of the paper or whatever. So yeah, he's definitely the man in Aussie boxing. <laughs> yeah, right, Jeffrey. <laughs> um, uh, where can our listeners, Alex McClintock of Australia's own, find you on social media? Find your future work. Tell us, tell us more about yourself. Okay, just get me at uh, at axmcc on Twitter. I'm just doing freelance stuff, not all boxing. I'm trying to trying to get into that zone of like weirdest boxing adjacent career that Rafe and uh, Kieran Mulvaney are going for. So I'm trying to hope, hope I can compete in that. It's the Kriegel the path of to perfection. Yes, you either need to pick whales or Filipino basketball. You got to find your niche, all right? Yeah, I got to find something else. Hey, great chatting with you, my man. Best of luck in Canada. I've been following your tour of America recently on social media. It looked like you, what are you in the damn Grand Canyon. It looked like the movie Vacation. It was great. I, I, I saw a lot of good stuff on your timeline there. Thank you for joining us. No worries. Thanks, guys. Special thanks, Rafe, to our friend Alex McClintock. Going deep on all, look, we've had the Warlock on before to get us the British perspective. We had McClintock on to get us the Down Under perspective. Speaking of Warlock, Rafe, we didn't really get into the week you and I just had in your current backyard of L.A. We spent a lot of time with the damn Warlock. We may have to get him on this show or get him arrested or one of those things. I don't know which is going to happen first, but I'd say if we want him, we should get him on this show fast. <laughs> hey, we had a good time. We had We had some drinks with Jim Gray. You, you weren't moved by that at all? You are describing Jim Gray coming to your ta- uh, the table we were seated at, at at a boxing media dinner the night before the fight as having a drink with Jim Gray. Jim Gray didn't say a single word to me. He, I don't even know if he made eye contact with me. So I don't know. I, I did not feel like I had made a connection with, with the great Jim Gray. And that's fine. He doesn't need to talk to me. But I think you may be overplaying it a little bit here. I did tell him, although I didn't believe it in the moment, that uh, – you know, uh, Costa Zoo had, had no business, you know, calling him rude like that. I actually think that he had no business being rude to the great Costa Zoo. Okay, okay. Jim Gray was a good dude though. He won Please do not be rude to me, Brian. Please, please do not be rude to me. Uh, so you don't want to share any stories. Uh, we, we, we ate Mexican. We, uh, hey, we did a nice little karate kid tour there of the sites in, in, uh, the greater Reseda Noho area. The highlight for me had to be standing on that amazing viewpoint on Mulholland Drive when I'm taking you on the tour and sunset, beautiful lighting, my back to the to the camera, looking at the Hollywood sign, pointing down on the big Usyk on my back. 
on that great hoodie I got all the way shipped here from the Ukraine. Now, true or false, Alexander Usak liked that photo on Instagram. Oh, you bet it. I, I have the screenshots. I have the receipts to prove it. We are bros now. He made eye contact with me through that like. Wow. Wow. Uh, all right. Before we get into the weekend preview, do your care. Do you care? We know that Rafe isn't that big on women's boxing, but we have one of the faces that is the future of women's boxing. Michaela Mayer coming up. Nice chat about the future of where she's going. Good looking prospect here for top rank. Well, that was an accidental pun, but, you know, it it might be true. But we're going to find out more about her. Enjoy. Oh, yeah. You better believe we're excited to welcome in one of the rising stars in women's boxing today. You know her as 2016 U.S. Olympian Michaela Mayer, 8-0 as a pro, 4 KOs, and you'll see her back December 14th on ESPN+. Plus. Michaela, thank you for joining us. Fired up. How are you? Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm doing really good. Um, it's Monday, so I'm about to start the last week of camp before we head out to Texas um, next Sunday. Fantastic. Look, this is... Uh, this is a fertile time for the sport of women's boxing. Fresh, you know, a couple of years removed from it entering the Olympics. We're starting to get some major players that are getting some TV time. This seems like a perfect storm for you to slide in there and make some noise. How excited are you overall with the direction of where the sport's going? Yeah, um, it's amazing. Just, just knowing that when I first started, there was barely any women in the gym. Women were not allowed into the Olympics for boxing. Um, and I still believe that I could have a career in the sport. I don't know why there was no, there was no career for women in, in the sport, but I believed I could make one for myself. And now here almost 12 years later, um, I'm getting to fight on the biggest sport network in the world, which is ESPN. And it's just coming a really long way and we're opening a lot of doors for the next generation. I've heard some really cool interviews with you in the past where you mentioned when you were at that turning point to make a decision following the Olympics, you had strong considerations mm-hmm. of jumping into the MMA space. We're talking Bellator. What Talk me through the decision-making at that point, because we know women's MMA has really taken off in the past decade to levels that women's boxing hasn't hasn't reached really in a, in a long time. So what was that time like for you? Right, and that was just it. You know, I'd put so much time and effort into boxing, and I always had a dream of developing a market. And um, I made it to the Olympics, but after the Olympics, I, I was kind of just, I didn't really gain everything I expected to gain from the Olympics, and I was right back in my hometown training for nationals. So I thought, you know, as the hustler in me and me wanting to be successful and make the most of my career, I thought, where can I go to capitalize on my youth and really make the most of my career? Because you can't be an athlete forever, you know, and I, I knew that. So I looked at where women were getting the recognition, getting the payday, getting the TV time, and that was MMA. And there were no major promoters you know, knocking on my door after the Olympics to sign me like they were, like they would if I were a man, you know? And um, so I was going to do that. And I was very close. Uh, I had been speaking with Bellator and it looks good. I was going to go in that direction and stars kind of all aligned. And I met up with top rank and my manager sat down with top rank. So I went from not having any offers to signing with, in my opinion, the best promoter in the world. So it all really worked out, and now I can do what my dream has always been, which is develop a market for women's boxing. 
Love it, love it. Yeah, I know you probably made one person very happy with your decision. We love him on the show. We call him the Bob Father, and we know what he thinks about MMA. UFC, a bunch of skinhead white guys watching people in the ring who are also look like skinhead white guys. Now we play that for fun, Michaela. Not trying to set you up here. That's a oh funny my God. thing. We put famous quote there from Uncle Bob, but let's. That. Let's talk about Uncle Bob right now because we love him on this show. He comes on. He tells us about smoking weed. He talks about that giant orgy he was in in the 70s in the Philippines. You got any good Uncle Bob oh stories God. for us? T- tell us about Grandpa. <laughs> um, well, you know, I didn't even meet um, Bob M until my, my first pro fight because I had sat down. And we had done, my manager and I, they did the negotiations with Todd DeBuff. Um, but, you know, he is was the first one to say like look look what women have done in the UFC what girls are Ronda Rousey so it's you can't deny that women are selling faster people want to see them fight and so I'm honored to be his first female that he is signed to a multi-year contract um I take that really seriously and you know it's a, it's a huge step and after everything he's done for boxing um it's just really cool to be a part of it and be under his promotion no, no doubt about it. In a great spot on ESPN, of course. Now, you know, doing some back research on you, I'm, I'm interested in terms of yeah. when you, how does somebody just make that decision? I'm going to start getting punched in the face and punch back. And I read a feature <laughs> from 2016 that Kevin Ioli of Yahoo did. Tell me if this is an accurate description. He described you okay. before the Olympics as a party girl who stumbled into the kickboxing gym at age 17 with no direction in life. Is that a true, a- accurate description of teenage Michaela Mayer? Um, yeah, I can't really argue that statement too much. I mean, I was in high school by the time I had my senior year. I, you know, like my family was a little bit broken at the time, so I wasn't getting up and going to class. My dad had custody of all three of us girls, and she was working all day, so I was kind of just, raising myself and doing what I wanted. Maybe I didn't want to go up and go to school. I didn't have to. So, but I also had sort of this hunger for success. I wanted to be good at something. And when I was going into my senior year, I realized, like, what am I good at? What am I doing with my life? It just started with a simple decision of trying something new. And there was a Muay Thai kickboxing gym down the street from my house that I had driven by for years. And I decided just to walk in and sign myself up. Wow. So this is now this is going to be a weird question here, but I it says you're from Woodland Hills, California. That's correct, right? Uh-huh. Now that's right next to Reseda, California, which was the home of the great Cobra Kai Karate Dojo. When you say you stumbled into a kickboxing gym, we're not talking about uh Daniel San here. But that story's kind of a parallel right there, right? Uh, okay, yeah, cool. I mean, I walked into Majiro Gym LA, which is a well-known kickboxing gym, um, and it was in, in Canoga Park. All right, I just made a pilgrimage to the uh, to the old Cobra Kai Dojo in North Hollywood last week for Wilder Fury. Had to take pictures out front. It's still real to me, damn it. Okay, that's all I'm saying there, Michaela. But <laughs> that's awesome. You make that transition, and then you fall into the hands of famed amateur trainer. Al Mitchell, guy, 96 Olympic yep. coach, Floyd Mayweather, all, he's trained everybody. But there's a great quote mm-hmm. from Al that resurfaces a lot. Says, my father's dead, but if he heard I was training a girl, he'd turn over in his grave. Great story there. <laughs> How'd you convince Uncle Al there to get a part of that? Okay, well, first of all, I'm sitting in my living room right now. Yes. <laughs> you're going gonna to be happy to hear that. Um, so, obviously, I was in a... a kickboxing trainer 
And I came off a few losses. I didn't losses already, but I came off a couple losses, and I was just kind of really unhappy with my training. And my dad has always been such a supporter of my boxing, you know. He's the one who I told him after a year of training, oh, I want to train for the Olympics. And he said, okay, let's do it. So most dads would be like, ha, good one, go back to school. But um, he's been really supportive. And he saw that I wasn't happy with my training and um, he knew I loved it. So he was research for me and he was on the USA Boxing website and he heard of this program in Marquette, Michigan, where you could train as a two-time Olympic coach. I didn't know his name. And Cool. And I was 18, so it was time for me to go to college. And he made phone calls to Coach Al, made phone calls to the university, and said, you know, basically, you can take my daughter. She wants, she wants to go to the Olympics. The women are in the Olympics now. Okay, <laughs> you have to. And he had, you know, the killers in this program up there. Always men, because women weren't in the Olympics, so there was no point in having a woman there. Um, long story short. I was on a plane two weeks later from L.A. to the North Pole um, and started school the next day, met Coach Al, and I I realized right away that he was the one that was going to get me to the top. Now, true or false, you have Al Mitchell's (laughs) initials tattooed somewhere on your body. What's going on here, Michaela Mayer? I do. I have um, AM tattooed right on the um, outside of my right hand. Um, he crashed with these hands, you know, when I went, when I made the Olympic team, they, they had me move to Colorado Springs and I was sort of taken away from him, um, full time and moved into the Olympic training center where they're prepping me for the games. So I wanted to get that tattooed on my hand because even though he couldn't come with me, he was obviously going, always going to be there. Uh, in my memories and obviously he's the one who's gotten me there. So I wanted him, or I wanted to remember that always. I like that. I like that a lot. Now, true or false, let's be really honest here. Putting you on the spot. Michaela Mayer got screwed by the judges at the 2016 Rio Games. To be completely honest, I have not. And, and I think in order to make that, – that was, that was the talk, right? And I think in order for me to make an, a, a more accurate opinion on that, mm-hmm. I would have to rewatch the fight. And I've never rewatched the fight. Wow. Now <laughs> I this, just couldn't get myself to rewatch it. This is the majority decision loss to Russia's Anastasia Belikova. Never watched it again. Do you want to see her again in the ring someday to run that back? Yeah, I mean, I would love that. That would be such a, a great thing to kind of overcome and, and do. But, I mean, the following year... Rotate, Russia kind of rotates their athletes a lot. The following year, they weren't even sending her to tournaments. They were sending another girl. So I don't even know if she's still boxing or suddenly turning pro or something that she's for a season her future, and I haven't heard of her since. So I don't know if that will ever happen, but um, hopefully one day uh, I can sit down and watch that fight. It was just really painful for me because I had put so much into making that Olympic team and to walk away without a medal after Getting so you know so close to a medal and so such a close decision, it was just really hard for me to to move past. But I think turning pro has really given me a new goal to focus on, and I'm really happy everything is worked out. You think there's any like blessing and a curse thing where you'll look back one day on that loss as being a major turning point in creating the fire in who you are today inside of you as a professional? 
Yeah, and I already have. I re- I've realized it took me a long time. You know, I really went through it for a while, like most of the stuff in the Olympics, um, just because I put so much into it. But um, I already have think that it's a, it was a blessing in disguise because, who knows, if I would have gotten my gold medal, maybe I wouldn't be going for another Olympics. Maybe I wouldn't have been so eager to find another route or look in other directions or look in other doors, look for other doors. And I did that because of, of the loss of the Olympics and because of how I felt. And I found the path that I'm on. You know, I signed with top rank and I'm really happy because I was really fun. Um, I'm getting the recognition. I felt like I feel like I deserved finally. And it's, like I said, I've created whole new goals for myself. So I'm really happy and everything has worked out fine. On Saturday, December 14th, Corpus Christi, Texas, really good card with the Gilberto Ramirez, Jesse Hart, super middleweight title rematch at the top of that card. You'll be taking on Calixta Silgado. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but at this point, this will be your ninth pro fight. What type of fight are you expecting against Silgado? What are we going to see here? Um, well, you know, I got Coach Allen Camp, like always, and he's, no matter who I'm fighting, he'll find the best thing that they do. And we'll work on that, and we'll work, and we'll work, and we'll work. So we definitely have a game plan going into this fight. He studied every day probably 150 times. Um, I've watched it six times with him as, as well. Uh, so yeah, we have a game plan, and we just we just want to keep getting better and better. You know, we're never complacent. Coach Al doesn't allow me to be complacent. Neither does Coach. And we want to go in there and show and look good. And he wants me to look good. He wants me to not just win. He wants me to look really good doing it. So that's my goal. I want to be technically sound, and obviously I want to get the knockout, but I'm going to stay behind my jab, and we'll see what happens. Now, you compete in the junior lightweight division, but the the big names that people know, and then, actually, let me let me pose it to you as a question. In women's boxing, to make the biggest splash, you have to fight the biggest names possible. So do you foresee a future in which there are enough big <sighs> names around your weight class to, to prevent, let's say, you having to jump up, you know, monster levels to try to get a big enough fight? Absolutely, because I'm at that that competitive weight for women, 130 to 140. Um, that's where that's the natural weight for women. That's where most of them are. So, and there's some huge names. I mean, these girls coming out of the Olympics have amazing skill, and I think that's been a huge, a big changing factor in why women are finally getting TV time recognition and picked up by promoters. Is we have that resume, we have that experience in the amateurs. Now we've had that ladder to climb. And there's definitely some good news. I'm going to take the 130 division while I still can. I can still make 130 because um, I want to be uh, – I want to take over multiple divisions. I don't want to just stay at one weight. So I'll take over 130 now. Um, eventually, I'll definitely be going up to 135. And then who knows, in three or four or five years, maybe I'll go up to 140. I have the height. I have the power. I have the speed. So I feel like I can fight at uh, many different weight classes. Is there any – fighter out there that you envision as your your big one that you're like okay maybe two three years that's the that's the woman i want to meet down the line that's the one that's going to make me let's say a crossover star that's going to bring all the attention to the sport you think like that or is it still too early okay so first of all i'm not allowed i'm literally not even allowed to talk about the day after my fight (laughs) it's hilarious i'm literally not allowed to talk about anything um he never ever wants me to look past the fight ahead of me um, which is what a good coach will do. But I think the most obvious answer to that is um, me versus Katie Taylor. And she's doing great things from his boxing, too. She's already been a huge star in Ireland, even in her amateur career, um, and obviously Europe, too. So, um, you know, I'm doing what I can to build my name here in America. 
and she's obviously doing that in her side of the world, and I know that one day we'll meet, and it's going to be a great fight. I can't tell you when that'll happen, but um pretty confident that it'll definitely happen, and it'll be a fight for the world to remember, and we need the world to be watching. We don't want it to happen too soon, because um, it'll be a shame if all eyes aren't on that fight. It's going to be great. That is going to be something special. Katie Taylor from Ireland, very fun fighter to watch. Big following behind her. Uh, also, big women's fight this weekend on HBO. The last card on HBO after 45 years. The women getting the spotlight with Pound for Pound Queen Cecilia Brakis and her four welterweight titles. We're going to see Clarissa Shields, your Olympic teammate, on there. How cool is that in your eyes mm-hmm. to see HBO, unfortunately, going away, but bringing shine to women's boxing on the way out? Yeah, I think that's awesome that they're having um, multiple women's fights on one card. Um, it's a shame that it's the last fight that they're doing. But honestly, I'm really into the zone and ESPN Plus and these apps on my phone because I don't really have cable. I, I'm going to watch TV. I watch Netflix and Hulu. <laughs> and I like having these apps on my phone so I can pull up the fights wherever, whenever. Um, I think it's just a new age and a new way to go. So, um, you know, HBO's been a classic spot for boxing, but... It's pretty cool to be going out with uh, an awesome women's card. And speaking of Shields, she's getting a lot of fire on the internet for saying she thought Wilder beat Fury handily. You're going to call her up and let her know that the Gypsy King should have been victorious on Saturday night? <laughs> well, you know, this is boxing. Everyone has their own opinion. I didn't watch the fight. I watched clips on on Twitter, so I can't. But I, I do believe in what I saw that Fury did win the fight. But, I mean, you never know because think about it if he got knocked down twice that's four rounds and so the other two rounds were kind of close you can see how it could have been a draw um but at the end of the day i mean what's the worst case scenario that you each get 50 million more dollars to redo it again like it's a win-win <laughs> <laughs> i'll be there i'm sure every other boxing fan will also will be there december 14th to check out this fight everybody can watch it on espn plus when michaela mayer makes her return going for nine and oh michaela it's been a pleasure to talk to you best of luck not just on this return but what you're doing as one of the faces of women's boxing finally getting recognition it deserves thanks so much for joining us thank you so much for having me you guys tune in december 14th <sighs> quiet on that interview you don't want to jump in and talk about the future of the women's uh junior featherweight division oh look brian i'll be honest i did not prepare for that interview and i do i've done in whenever i've had books come out i've had to do a lot of interviews where people on radio shows who have no clue who i am or what i did to to belong on their radio show are sitting there trying to figure it out live on the air asking stupid questions and i don't think i would have been that bad if i had jumped in on michaela mayor to ask questions, but it just, <laughs> it, it just didn't, I, I wasn't, I, I felt like I, 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 you were doing a good job and it wasn't my place to go in to, to just barge in like, like a moron and I, out of respect to her and respect to our show and to our listeners. All right. Hey, Rafe, it's time for weekend preview. Do you care? We've got fights from all different networks, including to zone zone. And Eddie Hearn and these guys have a plan to build a platform. They're luring people like Canelo to the platform and stuff like that. Wow, I could just, 
I could just listen to Dwyer for days. Platform. Yeah, it, it, he's got like a Bob Ross kind of cadence where he's he's just sitting there painting these beautiful boxing pictures, these murals with his mind, you know. And, <laughs> we'll, we'll put a little happy Usak here, a little happy Groves dick over on this side. <laughs> hey, man, don't be a blank. You know, hey, you're really going to act this way. You're really going to be buffoonish. Hey, Rafe, do you care Friday on Telemundo from Mexico City, Antonio Moran versus Edson Ramirez, 10 rounds no, lightweight. No, 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 All right. Friday night from Las Vegas, Mayweather Promotions presents a Facebook stream headlined by Ladarius Miller versus Ricardo Garcia, 10 rounds lightweight. Huh? Who? <laughs> Friday from Dublin Island, Rafe. Ray Moylet versus Christian Aruzquieta, 10 rounds lightweights. I know, the answer is no. But the co-main, Gary Spike O'Sullivan, he's back, versus TBA, 6 rounds middleweights. Do you care? I, I, I will wait uh, one more fight to, to, until he has an opponent to care about Spike. Oh, Friday's a rough night for, for the sport. Friday night, Belfast, Northern Ireland, Rafe, the home of Carl Frampton. We got Conrad Cummings. Versus Brian the Lion Rose, 12 rounds middleweights. Oh my god. Oh my god. Brian Rose. Wow. Who, how many, how many of our favorites have sent him to hell? Is it just Demetrius Andre? Does uh, anyone know? Carson Jones almost sent him to, did, did Carson Jones get a weird stoppage in that one? I can't even remember. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. It took a piece of his soul and he was done. So. It- Nah, but he's back, Eddie. Saturday, Rafe, this is the card we care about. All right, shout out to our buddy, the corner man. You will be there on Saturday, right? New York City, Madison damn, Square Garden. Damn right I will. Is this the theater? I am not, or this, the... Is, this is, this is, this is, this is a, this is close to a Super Bowl for me. You talked about the Super Bowl down under that happened in Brian Campbell's pants when wow. the Horn Mundine fight happened. <laughs> wow. But <laughs> I'm talking about, the Super Bowl, a split card with my man Isaac Dogbe and, and one of maybe the best pound for pound fighter in the sport. Not even, I, most people wouldn't even bother putting maybe, but I got respect for some of the other great fighters in the boxing. Our guy, Vasily Lomachenko. Ooh, it's gonna, even if these fights aren't gonna be super competitive. What a, what a bill. I would, these are guys you pay to see that pay worth the price of entry. Niho! <laughs> You have a little bit of fun with the bag. You play with it. You win combinations on the bag. Uh, Madison Square Garden, ESPN, the big one, ESPN. This is the annual stop for top rank where you get the Heisman Trophy ceremony and then you get a big rating right afterwards. You probably get Tim Tebow in attendance. Last year we saw Rigo and Vasily during this. This year, Vasily Lomachenko defends his pair of 135 belts, WBA, WBO, I'm sorry. This is a unification fight. I was wrong. This is a good ass fight. Jose. I want unification. I want want the unification. Jose Sniper Pedraza. I have a fight uh, with a a Thailand guy. No, 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 no. From Puerto Rico. I really like Jose Pedraza. This is a good ass fight. Unifying the WBA and WBO lightweight belts. Loma Pedraza. Now, I like this fight. Is there any chance though? Pedraza can be as good as Linares was to actually make this a fight. 
I I doubt it. I guess you you know yes, there is a chance. I think I like about Pedraza, and he's been go, maybe gone a little overboard saying that he has the style to beat Vasily Lomachenko. No one has seen what style he's referring to yet, but perhaps he is right. But I do I do believe him and take him seriously that he is coming into this fight planning to win. He, I think he's going to at least start the fight trying like actually coming to win he and it might take a little longer than usual for Lomachenko to disabuse him of that notion that winning is even a remote possibility um but at the end of the I think that the 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 cream is going to rise to the top Vasily's class will show and it will end up seeing something like those Nicholas Walters fights those Jason Sosa fights where the you you're looking at Vasily making a world-class, maybe not super high world-class, but still world-class opponent really, really look helpless in there. I think we will see some of that. He's, he's just going to outbox him so much. It will, I'm a little interested to see Lomachenko against a bit, a pretty big 135 pound opponent. Going to have reach and height and wait, wait, can box way, a little. Which weight class is this? 135 weight category. That, that is the category. I like what the 135 version of Jose Pedraza. We saw him get sent to hell by Trevante Davis, moved up. It was a solid win over Raimundo Beltran, the, uh, to, to get this title. I just don't think he can be better than Lenar has was. Now I oh, love no. seeing Loma and really to ask anybody to be competitive with Loma and have a chance of dropping him. You know, you're asking a lot, but the one thing is Pedraza's got some balls. He may get himself knocked out, Rafe, to try to win it. And that's really all you can ask, right? I mean, like, when you're facing Loma, I mean, you're facing a different animal. I think that's magic. It is. And you, it's really hard to deal with that movement, those angles. So if Pedraza's just going to put it down on the line at some point and go for it and try to win, try to land some big snipe shots from the outside, this could be a fun fight. I don't think it's one he can win, though. No, I, it's... Like, like you said, I think he will come to fight and he, and do his best to make something of it, but I just don't, it's, he just, and we just, we just saw him fight a very good fight against Ray Beltran, eventually getting that knockout. But again, this is Ray Beltran. Come on. That was competitive. And this is now you're jumping up to Lomachenko. It ain't the same sport almost when you're going from Beltran to Lomachenko. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I mean, the, you know, the same battle. I mean, that's, that's, that's damn right. Uh, the co-main is really wh- why you're coming, while you're, why you are flying from LA to New York. Hello, Grandpa. How are you doing? Your son, the Rastan, Isaac, Isaac Dogbe. Dogbe. 12 rounds to defend his WBO junior featherweight title against Emmanuel Navarrete? 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 Navarrete, yeah. Navarrete. Um, what are we going to see here? Because, uh, no, arguably, no one's hotter in the sport than Isaac Dog Bay. He's a sleeper fighter of the year contender. This is a chance for him to defend the title on a big platform here. What do you know about our friend Emmanuel? All I know is that he had a ranking in what the, 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 the WBA, that belt. I'm going just off what I remember of the color of it. Um, but it is... I don't, in all likelihood, although we don't know, sometimes, obviously, there is a great 
fighting tradition in Mexico. Uh, Navarrete hasn't been someone celebrated as a future star in the sport from at least here on American shores. But we know that he's if he is anything like what we've come to expect of, of high level, highly ranked Mexican fighters, he's he's going to come to fight. He's going to be hard to get out of there. He's going to compete. He might be a little easy. You know, he, he, he might not be as quick as Dog Bay. Eventually, I think Dog Bay is going to break him down and beat him. I don't know if it will happen as fast like that crazy first round knockout he had over, uh, was it Hidenori Ito in the last fight? I, I, I can't remember. That was a great win. I, I, that might be close. Um, but it, it, it may take longer. I think that Dog Bay, the, 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 the talent, the speed, the, the strength, I'm thinking it will be another night where we leave saying what a night for Ghana boxing. What a night for Ghana boxing and what a night for Isaac Dobby, the Royal Stone. That left who came out of nowhere. Yeah, it did. Uh, I had two cab drivers this week in LA that were from Ghana and both were woke on Azuma Nelson and Corte but did not know about Isaac and I think I added two more viewers to uh, the ESPN card on Saturday. So you're welcome, Cornerman and, and Uncle Bob. And um, yeah, yeah, you know. I think I think the garden, the theater in the garden where they have – this is in the theater, right? This is not in the uh Yes, this the main is the room. theater. This is the theater. Okay. One, that's a beautiful place to watch boxing. I love those weird – those lights they have on the top. Really really a fun, small, small main event type space. I think it's going to have a great crowd in New York. We, New York has a, a serious Ghanaian population – a serious Puerto Rican community. Ukrainians are going to be out. I think we're going to see a great, like, one of those classic boxing crowds with people from all over the world living in one area, coming and and watching some fun, fun fights. I'm I'm pumped for this. I'm I am psyched. And oh, we got, you know, we got our other our our young New York prospect, Teofimo Lopez. Going next, the takeover, Rafe Teofimo Lopez, my man, your man, friend of the show, Junior. By the way, Teo Junior. 10-round lightweight bout, stepping up in competition again, one of the best-looking, hottest prospects here in the, uh, you know, yeah. in around 130-135, facing veteran Mason Maynard, 34-3, and 24 KOs, the 30-year-old from Louisiana, whose nickname, Rafe, you know about this? Rock Hard Mighty. <laughs> Wow. Wow. We know Mason Maynard, though. To, uh, you know, recent years, got stopped by Ray Beltran in 2016, Got stopped by Devin Haney earlier this year. But, you know, he's faced some guys. This is a good step up in competition. Teofimo Lopez is what's next, Race. I, Rafe, I care. He's cocky, flashy. He's everything we want right now. And our boy, the corner man, did send me a DM and basically was like, if you guys don't care about this fight, you're dead to me. Well, uh, rightly so. We, I do care. I, I want to, I, I'm, we're on the Teo train. We're part of this. We want to be part of the takeover, uh, that movement. And I think this will be, it's worth seeing also. It's a good step up. It's good. It's a name, a, a little bit of a name opponent. It'll give some comparison points to other hot rising. Oh, well, in one case, Devin Haney, a very hot rising 135 pound fighter. And then also a, an old vet like, like Ray Beltran, who always, who's always reliable and we, we know what we're going to get out of him. So if Lopez somehow managed to do something that's more spectacular to the way that, that those guys stop Menard, well, that'd be something. Otherwise, it'll just be fun to see him in the ring. And the corner man slid into my DMs and said that they are planning that top rank wants to move Lopez next year in the 135 pound ranks. Even as young as he is, they want to get him close to that world level 
real fast. Uh, wow. And if he's ready for it, go for it. We had him on our show, what, a couple months ago. It was very cocky. Uh, predicted Ryan Garcia would be a bust. So there's still, there's still time for that, Rafe. There's still time for those, uh, DMs to get shot in if you know what we're talking about with Ryan Garcia. Um, I would want to take at least one glance at Garcia's DMs. Like, would you, would you accept that offer? Oh, 100%. I, I, I'm, I'm taking screenshots all the way. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest with you. It goes down as DM. <laughs> All right. Do you care, Rafe, about this good, good undercard fight here on this top rank ESPN? This might be on the ESPN Plus portion. Alexander Besputin, one of those welterweights that Bob keeps saying could be a bud opponent against veteran Juan Carlos Abreu, 10 rounds. Now, when I heard this name, I'm like, is that the guy that Saddam Ali sent to hell? No, it's not. This is the guy from the Dominican who lost a decision to Egidus, uh, Kevin, Kevin, uh, you know, my Lithuanian dude, Kevin yeah, in July on a top rank card. Uh, been in there with some people beat, stopped Soto Karras in 2017. So take that rooster, uh, you know, lost to the people he should like a Humberto Soto through the years. Uh, you care about this? You care about best Putin? Is he going to be a thing or is he just going to be a, an out for Bob? Like if he can't make another Colazzo fight for, for TC, then. I care enough. We, the, the thing, the most promising thing about Bisputin uh, for me so far has been that he seems to have a close relationship with Vasily Lomachenko. They do a lot of exercising together, running on the beach out there in Oxnard and Ventura County, uh, and, and doing a lot of weird, fun, training dancing together in weird tights they dress up like iron man he's part of the crew you gotta you gotta you, you so it makes me interested enough to want to see how good he looks in this fight and going forward but at the same time the bob father is totally blowing smoke with all that oh give me mean machine or disputing over any of these pbc well to well they fight like some tough tough gang members <laughs> I could use more of you doing Bob. It's not really that, it's not like a good impersonation, but it, it does, it does work. It does kind of, it kind of moves me a little bit. Um, all right, Rafe, this Saturday in the zone from Sheffield, England, a little, a little chocolate brownie. Kel Brook is back in a WBA junior middleweight eliminator bout at, that's a 154, 12 rounds against the Australian stripper Michael Zarafa, who you remember Kid Chocolate sent to hell on a PBC card viciously, but has rebounded nicely to become a player in the UK 154 domestic scene. Brooke Zarafa, do you care? No, I don't. I'm sorry. Little Chocolate Brown. You know how many fights we've had to see over the years of Kel Brook beating up way undermatched guys in Britain, Frankie Gavin, Jojo Dan. I'm never going to care after picking Jojo Dan to upset Kel Brook. Mm. I really tried to go out on that limb. Uh, I just, I, I don't want to see these fights anymore. And I, I don't want to send Kel into hell against the very best of the sport, but I want to see a little bit more. Amir Khan is supposed to be ringside here, Rafe, in Sheffield. Talk about some some serious marinating ass bastards. Those guys may never fight. I, I or we're gonna see it in ten years. We, ah, these uh, just two guys who are good fighters, but I don't know. They don't. They, they, they don't you get the sense that they're in it for whatever money they can still get out of their skills, and rightly so. I mean, they deserve it on that regard. But it's not as a fan. It's very hard for me to believe in it. They're just jacking it from everywhere. 
Wow. Uh, wow. Um, I care about seeing Cole Brooke back. Sarafa can punch a little bit. This should be a good test. I, I know it's too late and too long. I still want Con Brooke. It still matters to me. I'll watch this card in the zone on Saturday. I'll get all fired up when they face off afterwards. I'm in. Co-main event, Joan O'Carroll versus Guillaume Frenois, IBF Junior Lightweight Eliminator. You don't care about that, right? I kind of care a little bit because our guy John O'Carroll has been call- talking wild trash about Tevin Farmer nonstop. I don't know why he, he got the, got it in his head that he wants to fight Farmer and is just, I mean, saying he has no heart, saying, calling out his flashy flash. He is just, it's just crazy. And I, John O'Carroll is some guy who I think I've only seen once before. And the only reason I paid attention because he has an outrageously ridiculous, gigantic beard. So maybe he's a good fighter. We're going to see. <laughs> wow. Uh, Josh Kelly, Rafe. He's back. He will not be facing. And the plasterer for the local council. He'll be facing David Avianisen, who you might oh, remember yeah. had the Watch out, Shane. had the bootleg version of the WBA welterweight title and beat Shane Mosley for it before eventually getting sent to hell by somebody. You remember who? No, was it Mundine? Did he? Oh no, that was that Avanesian. Who was it? Lamont Peterson or Sean yeah, Porter? Yeah, or something? Lamont Peterson or somebody like that. I'll look it up in a second. But he'll be facing Josh Kelly, ten round welterweight. So I guess this is a step up, step forward for Josh Kelly. Avianesian, the thirty year old Russian. Do you care? Yeah, I care. I, I want to see how if if Josh Kelly is is real or if he's all flash. If if he's got if he's more than just a little some some yeah the flashy flash flashy flash. So Evan Eason, after beating Mosley, lost that title to Lamont Peterson by unanimous decision, and two fights later got sent to hell by Kavialskis. So uh, he's uh, he's on the downtrend here, but let's see what happens in this fight. Uh, Kid Galahad against Brian Minera, eight rounds featherweights. No. Brian, we have reached my limit. I have right, stopped right. caring. Anthony Fowler versus TB. No, okay, okay. Uh, Saturday night, speaking of not caring, Rafe, HBO, Carson, California, the home <laughs> of brawls, the home of box. Bon sub- voyage, guys. <laughs> HBO not only getting out of boxing, they are setting it on fire, Rafe. You got no Chocolatito. You got no, no but what you do have is women's welterweight queen, Cecilia Brakis, defending all four women's welterweight titles, the undisputed champ, against Alexandra Magdiziak slash Lopes. Ten rounds. The end of HBO. Lamps will probably cry. I'm Dude. sorry, what? I, I, I'm, I wasn't paying attention there. Oh what? Oh my god. Um, wow. Uh, I don't, I, yeah, like what do we say, Rafe? What do you say about this? What do you say about something that's on fire? Uh, you say HBO boxing it? ended with Canelo Triple G2, and that was a great fight to end on, and I don't know, I haven't paid any attention since. That's not totally true. I didn't pay attention to Jacobs and Derevinchenko. But hey, you know, whatever. They make their decision. That's a business decision. It's hard to necessarily fault given how much money things like the zone are throwing around. I don't care. Good everyone move on and 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 make money and and live fine lives. But I'm not going to be watching. Life. I don't care about his people. I don't care about his family. I don't care about them. Okay. Thank you, Angel. Thank you. Uh co-main event, Juan Francisco Estrada, Victor Mendez, 10 rounds junior bantamweights. Don't care. Uh, I don't care. I don't care. The opening of the triple header. Clarissa Shields will defend three of her women's middleweight titles against 
Fenke Hermans. Ten rounds. This will be the last tune-up for Shields Hammer to finally happen for women's middleweight unification. Unified. Well, I got to tell you, Brian, I am astounded that Famke Jansen of the X-Men and the Taken movies fame is finally – Trying to get into boxing. I mean, she's, she's been an actress and made a ton of money in that. I can't believe that she, she thinks that this is a good career move for her, but I'm pretty excited about it, you know? Uh, and if, if Clarissa Shields sends her to hell, I don't know if Clarissa Shields wants what Liam Neeson has got coming back for her. <laughs> You're feeling it. That's right. To watch yourself. Uh, Saturday night. Wow. It's a, let's just pause for a second. The end of HBO. Like, it's embarrassing that this is the last one. And I hope they do a lamps crying. We throw to some well, you know, five minute video package on the history, but like, shouldn't there be like a three hour special on the history of it? And then they just happen to play a fight in it. Like, why is it like, I just, I don't get the thinking that they weren't allowed to talk about HBO going away on any of their cards that it'll probably just come at the very end when lamps cries. But like, what a horrific way to go out, Rafe. It hasn't made a lot of sense. Um, I kind of think if they, if this was what they were planning to do with the remaining few months of HBO boxing, why not just end it on Canelo Triple G2? I, of course, there were contractual reasons probably that they had a few, they still owed dates to promoters. Main events still had that date that turned into Bivol Pascal. Uh, Tom Loeffler and, and his promotional outfit still had this one on, that's going to be on Saturday, but Pay those guys, pay those promoters uh, some decent kind of step aside fee and tell them to go put the, you know, that that will cover their losses or their or, or whatever. And then they can cut another side deal with ESPN Plus or DAZN, have the same fights, get 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 broadcast on streaming. And for HBO, which seems like it's always been very concerned about their brand. I mean, that was one of the explanations for why. They were getting out of boxing because it was going to cost a lot to maintain that high quality of of anything that HBO needs to be involved. Like that 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 competing on that level in boxing was no longer worth it to the company. Well, why would you let the HBO brand kind of get repeatedly dragged through the mud on Twitter every time there's one of these fight cards yeah. that people can see from a mile away is going to be, uh, generously speaking, not very uh appealing to fans like why why and then people on twitter are going to be killing them making all the jokes about everyone makes and and and, it, and the morale has to be terrible you got these people going out on these lame duck uh like like deals and it's just how are how are how are lampley and kellerman and roy jones is going to be doing it with them I feel for those guys having to sit there with a straight face and 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 act like and call it like the professionals they are, which I'm sure they'll do. But yeah. damn, you know, they, well they, said, why, why why do they have to do that? You know, yeah, well well said. It ain't right. It ain't right. It ain't right. It ain't right. Um, wow. Another hot beef injection. <laughs> uh, this is the bottom of the of the food chain here on the Do You Care for Saturday Night here, Rafe. It's like when you go into Cumberland Farms and there's like one roller left on that hot dog thing, and you and you get it, you know, and okay. yeah, yeah, put in that yeah. little bag and you play with the bag a little. Uh, Saturday Night Facebook Watch, Golden Boy in your backyard of Indio, California. Renee Alvarado versus Carlos Morales. Twelve rounds. WBA Junior Lightweight Eliminator. 
Uh, I don't care, but I might care if they can get our guys Todd Grisham and Mario Lopez Slater on the call and throw the rooster in there. I don't rooster will fight anybody. He doesn't care. How about the rooster on commentary? That'd be better. That would be better. Oh, yeah. Please leave her alone. He, he may have shot his wad still. Those hands are heavy. Uh, Kempton Park, South Africa. Riff, I feel like we had this fight already. Did it not happen? Thomas Usheisen versus oh, they... <laughs> Tabiso Manchunu rematch, rematch. Twelve rounds, oh cruiserweights. Did did it just fight? What's going on here? I, maybe it did great business in South Africa, and they want to do it again. It was a close fight. I don't, I'm surprised there's a rematch. I won't be watching, but I might follow it afterwards. Tommy Gunn, as they call him, Rafe. Somehow he's only thirty. I feel like that guy's been getting arrested forever right? i think he's put a lot of miles on himself over the years he may only be 30 but he, he appears to have the the body of a of a 50 year old so he won a majority decision over munchunu in september we did just mm-hmm. have this fight yes I, I i watched that fight it's not it's not bad it's a good style matchup but i don't know again it was not something where i watched it thinking oh yeah run it back guys all right hey on the undercard rafe thulani mbenge Versus Miguel Vasquez, 12 rounds, welterweights. The puppet is back. Oh, my God. Vasquez is is finally in that stage of his career. He, what, he lost to uh, Josh Taylor last year, and now he's just doing the rounds. Good for him. Make him make a buck, man. Maybe he signed the deal on the McDonald's again. That's that's well well handled. Uh, That name, though, reminded me of that guy, the sugar boy, Thulani Mulinga, that lost to Roy Jones. Remember that dude? Good name, the Sugar Boy. Yeah. Um. Saturday, Zagreb, Croatia, rising heavyweight, six and zero. Felipe Ergovic, the guy who just took Amir Mansour's soul in September, versus oh, what y- are we doing? Y- Pereira, twelve rounds. No, no. Okay. Uh, Nashville, Rafe. Senna Agbeko versus Brian Vera, eight rounds, super middleweights. Do you care? Is that guy related to uh, King Kong Agbeko? What is happening? Dude, Brian Vera. Remember that guy? Yeah. Is he going, are they doing this in the pit? Does Nashville have, <laughs> did, did someone in Nashville buy the BKB oh, boxing ring? Cause that's, uh, that's, that's Vera's home turf. All right. Uh, finally, Saturday from Gdansk, Poland. You know this heavyweight, Izuagbe Ugono? He was the dude who had that sloppy PBC brawl with Boobs Brazil in 2017. Remember where they were both down in Birmingham? Good ass fight on the undercard there. He's taking on Ali Aaron Dermarizen. You, you, you care about this? Is that, is, that sounds like, like a topical cream for my face. No, I don't care. <laughs> this heavyweight, uh, came back to stop Fred Cassie though. I don't know. Whatever. All right. That's, we, this show's too long. Um, Rafe, follow you. We can follow you everywhere. Um, I'll follow you anywhere, Rafe. Rafe Boogs on Twitter. Respect box, buy those books. Hey, people, how's the basketball love story? Is that still a thing? Is that still? Yeah, we're charging into the holiday season. Basketball love story can still be found anywhere books are sold. Check out the, the film is actually just this week, I believe, going to debut on ESPN plus. It used to be on ESPN watch. Why they need 16 different watch apps is I'll leave that to the corner man to explain to us. Um, but. Yeah, check out the book, check out the film, have as we go into the holiday Christmas shopping and, and Hanukkah shopping and everything else shopping season. Thank you. Uh, Is this if a good you like Kwanzaa it. gift? Yeah, any gift, yeah. All right. All right, Rafe. Um we had a good show. It was great seeing you over the weekend. Enjoy New York City this weekend. Maybe some of our listeners can uh check you out. Maybe I mean maybe I just lost you in Oregon in a bathtub, but maybe they can come by and have a beer with the bugs. Guys, you want show, you want big show, you want drama show. Come see me. Oh, wow. We out.